you're new and you haven't heard me before my name is easy weave this is easy does it on dogs by nature on a new platform and a little bit different format uh with the uh way the program's distributed and so forth we have been, been a been a minute since i've talked to you and that's one of the reasons why i feel like i owe you an explanation uh i know that um and and it's been a combination of things there's really uh <laughs> Uh, a lot of it has to do with just a, a very aggressive work schedule, um, and and a lot of it um, just was coincidence. I, I kind of expected to get a little bit back into this. Uh, I'm sorry, back into this a little bit sooner, but the um, the occasion of the momentous uh, signing acquisition acquisitions last week for our beloved Roar Orange Helmets on the shores of Lake Erie. The reason that I, I uh, didn't kind of jump in sooner is I actually just got done, I, I'll start with this, <laughs> had, a, had a really kind of bizarre uh, medical situation, nothing to, to be concerned about other than um, a couple months back, I you know, of all things of all things to start a Browns a podcast with a couple months back I in fact not too long after or you know maybe in in uh, the same time around the last time that I talked to y'all I bit my bottom lip now you do that right I mean we've all done that uh, or bit you know bite the side of your mouth or something like that and you hate you know it, it stings real bad you know hurts real bad when you first do it and it's kind of like ah you know you kick yourself for doing it well sometimes if you do that. It, uh, it you can get a fat lip, right? It'll swell up. Well, sometimes this swelling doesn't go away, and in my case, I ended up contracting what I discovered is called. And this isn't gross, but I mean, it, it wasn't as far as the manifestation of how this all uh, went down. But it's it's a mucus cyst. Basically, it's this little hunk of fat that grows on your. Uh, the, it's it's kind of it's like the trauma to your bottom lip, and I'm not a doctor, so I mean I'm probably butchering the whole reason why and everything. But just you know, it like it causes this thing to develop, and it's not painful or anything, but it's just kind of there. Um, so I've been dealing with this thing while you know life has been going on, uh, and within the last like the day of the Beckham. Uh, trade, you know, I, I dealt with because I, I looked it up online, right? I, I looked up to see like what is this thing that I got going after a couple of weeks, you know, and it hadn't gone away. I'm like, what is this thing? And so I looked it up, and, and basically it was like, well, it can last for a week, um, or it could last for the rest of your life, and it, it could either you know be totally you know painless and go away on its own, or it could kill you. I mean, like there's every variable as far as you know how how bad this thing is. So I got, you know, doctor and I'm like, Hey doc, what do you, you know, a guy that I, you know, keep in regular contact with. I'm like, you know, what do you think about this? He's like, well, does it hurt? Like, no. And and like, that was basically the end of the conversation. Like (laughs) he didn't even follow up with it. So after a couple of months, I get back. I'm like, Hey man, you think we, you know, might want to like do something about this. It's still there. He's like, yeah, come on and take a look at it. So I went in and, uh, he went 
and uh, you know, shot it up with Novocaine and lopped it off. And I get out of that. Oh, and and after doing that, you know, and and this thing that comes out is like this. It's like a it's like a blood colored uh, shark tooth shaped incised thing that is like you know they're gonna get a biopsy or whatever and it's it's, it, it, it's it's exactly what i thought you know my internet search uh said it was anyway um so in order to after doing that after slight basically slicing my bottom lip open um he had to stitch it up so he put these uh stitches in i had these sutures in my mouth and i leave that that appointment and it was like right around that time that i discover that we had acquired beckham odell beckham jr from the new york giants in exchange for jabril peppers our first round pick this year and our third round pick next year and so the thing about these sutures is that it really not really all that painful just annoying just extraordinarily annoying and i found that uh, the more I talked, the worse it was. The worse the annoyance was. And the thing is, is you know, trying to trying to do this, trying to this, you know, ex- extemporaneous talking about you know th- these things that you and I both care about, it's it's difficult to do if you're annoyed. You know, if you're annoyed, it's just going to come across. You know, you're going to have kind of a short attitude, trying to get it over with. And there's that. It's the thing about doing this. If you're going to do it, you got to be kind of freewheeling as far as your thought process. Because you're trying to fit it into. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's certainly some aspects of timing to go into show business. I mean, no doubt. It's that that's the name of the game in many respects but uh in this thing that that we do together i I think that it's important that it's you know relaxed and actually before um i got that done before that happened i actually did do an entire show i was driving as a matter of fact i did it on my phone and it was about the uh kareem hunt deal which i you know i haven't talked to y'all since that happened i'll offer my thoughts and i did an entire show on it and then there was an issue like i had a problem getting it because i recorded it on my on my phone it actually sounded pretty good doing it that way but you know i had i just i ran into an issue with getting it just done and in the process of like all of that happening um we had a uh a death in the family, unfortunately. Um, wonderful woman, um, way but way before her time, and it was just you know, it was just one of these things, a uh, shock to the system, and so on. Anyway, that required. Um, I actually had to go up to the land. I had to go. I had to fly up to Ohio. What ended up happening was um, this was all like within about a week or so period. My wife drove up there. I then. Uh, flew up there to drive back with her so that way I could see the family for a little bit. And all that kind of the the traveling up there and stuff kind of coincided with this whole uh, Kareem Hunt show thing that ended up... So basically it ended up there's an entire show that just never got that never got uh, posted about Kareem Hunt. But anyway, I did an entire program on it, so I'll talk about uh, my thoughts on that as we go along here uh, as well. But the um, yeah, the primary reason I haven't been around for a while is just like I say because of work. This time of year down down uh, where I live is kind of the exact opposite of how it is up there. Uh, up north, you know, the the hopping time, the busy time is the summertime, the the nice time of the year. Well, down here it's nice all the time, so our hopping busy time is the winter time, and so it's just been hey, I just been busy and and it's good. You know, I, li- I like being busy. But I've been keeping up on everything as much as uh, as much as there is to keep up on, and at this point. We are, you know, hip deep into the um, the free agency period. Really, the the free agency period is always one of these things. It's heavily awaited, 
and then it happens. And, and it, this year was a little bit different. Last year was was really the case where it was kind of anticlimactic because you knew what was going to happen before the actual trade deadline. Like the big moves were made the, the days leading up to the big day. This year, it was uh, a lot of the big moves were made on free agency day. But what ends up happening is you get a big um, burst of activity, and then it just kind of levels off, and then you get a couple of signings here and there. But it there's uh, all, basically all the big stuff in the free agency period, barring something you know uh, <laughs> surprising, which could certainly happen with this with this bunch. Uh, we've really kind of done what we're going to do to this point with with uh, the Browns roster prior to entering the draft. And of course, the the big the, the the big 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 thing, as I mentioned earlier, was the trade last week for Odell Beckham Jr., the wide receiver, formerly of the New York Giants, in exchange for our first round pick this year, our third round pick next year, and our former strong safety Jabril Peppers. And just to to talk about, and, and it's you know it's part of the fun of doing this. Whenever big stuff happens, is I can kind of give my opinion on it unvarnished. You know, like right, like that's why I like doing these after the games like immediately after the game that's when the the emotion of the contest is still fresh in my mind and whenever you have a couple of days to kind of ruminate on anything then typically your your viewpoint changes on it initially i gotta be honest with you initially when i first heard about it i was disappointed in what we gave up i'm being honest i'm being honest and part of it just has to do with i i was not all that enamored with the player um for a a variety of reasons and it's not not anything to do with his talent the guy is obviously uh, incredibly talented but hear me out I, I just I was very high on Jabril Peppers and the the kind of the strides that he made towards the end of last year and the overall year that he had with us I kind of thought okay here we are opening up a need at a position and also and really more than anything else I was so looking forward to one of about five or six guys that were going to be available at number 17 and so that you know th- those two things combined with the fact that because I and I had literally like you know uh, earlier that day I had I had kind of given my parameters like I would take a two and a three and that's it you know in talking about in a because I, I didn't believe it was going to happen so and, and I know I know people here and this will heat out of your fucking mind and I get it I get it I'm, I'm just saying that at the moment that was my you know kind of knee jerk reaction but then I had. A, a lot of time, obviously there's been a lot of time between then and now to, to reflect on it, think about it in the totality. Certainly the reaction of basically the entire universe. I mean, I go into work the next day and nothing I do work-related-wise really has anything to do with sports. And there are people talking about, people that don't even really you know get into sports all that often, talking about this this deal. Because it was that big of a deal, made such big reverberations um, all over the place. And also got the you know brush up a little bit more on on who and and the accomplishments of Odell Beckham Jr. And also more than anything else, thinking about what this really is going to mean for the rest of the offense, in particular because you know me, it all comes down to Baker Mayfield. It all comes down to the quarterback, and there's nothing else but that. I mean, that's it. That's 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 the long and the short of it. And so, and really, honestly, I made this conversion within probably, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes of learning that the trade happened, um, that this is going to benefit Baker in a big-time way. And it's also going to benefit a lot of other players in a big-time way. But, you know, before getting into all that, I, I you know, the, the, um, the loss of Peppers, while significant, is something that is 
is more than mitigated by the acquisition of a superstar wide receiver. And that really is the key here, is that Odell Beckham is a superstar wide receiver. And there's also something else about this. It's not just the draft picks and, and the fact that I was you know kind of high on peppers and all that. There, I had this kind of nagging... Uh, reminder that I, and it's just look i mean you know you're you've been fan of this team for a long enough time you're going to expect the worst and you know you also can can be reminded of of things in the past that you know, that's hard to forget and for me i'm thinking about you know at the end of the 1994 season everybody is high on the browns and we go out and we sign andre risen art modell had to have his wife take out a loan or some nonsense it was it was a crazy arrangement but and whatever the money was it was <laughs> compared to what players are getting now it was you know, it was pennies, but it was a big deal back then. And it was a big deal back then because Andre Risen added to the receiving core of Michael Jackson and Derek Alexander, who you may not know who any of those people are, but they were, you know, that was a good... Derek Alexander was our first-round pick uh, the year before. And along with somebody else who, I, who is evading me right now, who is... Was it, was it Langham? Was it Langham and, and Alexander that we got that same year? Yeah, I guess it was in 1994. Um, Alexander was, and he was like in the running for rookie of the year. I mean, he had a great year, dropped passes in the playoff game against the Steelers. But the point is, is adding Andre Risen. If you don't know who Andre Risen was, Andre Risen and in, in that era had played for uh, the Atlanta Falcons, who were one of a couple of teams that were uh, utilizing an offense that was kind of revolutionary at the time, known as the run and shoot. And what was specific about that offense is that it really is kind of resembles today's modern offense, but a, a little bit, maybe maybe a little bit more um, uh, extreme in the sense that in in the case of like the Houston Oilers, they were the ones that probably ran it the best, and they just did not carry a tight end on the roster at all. The Falcons, I think, did, but they were the idea was uh, four and five wide receivers at all times, spreading out the defense and creating mismatches. And few teams uh, really were able to do this because in those in those days the running game still kind of dominated uh, the tempo of the game and kind of the way that the game was played and just the the way that I mean you had to get you just had to get a different type of player to play the the not only the wide receiver position but the offensive line positions and it was just, and you just didn't have a lot of quarterbacks that could that could run at that speed in those days it just it was just different but any, at any rate Andre Risen was the top receiver in one of these offenses and the thing about these offenses is that the receivers caught a lot of passes so Risen was a great receiver that had just an incredible um I don't know why I'm getting off in this tangent about Andre Risen Eric Metcalf caught like 120 passes in that offense back when that was like in, in an unheard of uh total that was when after we traded him for you know I, I've gone into the, what all, what that all into and previously anyway we uh, that was like the move that was supposed to put us over the top. We were on the cover of Sports Illustrated, uh, which is the, which is like the kiss of death. Uh, I don't think Madden was around back in those days, or if it was, it was in it was in its infancy, and I don't think that the jinx really uh, applied to it at that point. But um, we but we went into that year. A lot of people were picking us, were picking the Browns to be Super Bowl favorites, and. It was a big thunk. Well, you know what happened. We moved to Baltimore. Uh, the the move the the announcement was made about halfway through the year, and I know I've gone over this in, in some detail with some of you with with, well, with a lot of you, I'm sure. But um, there may be people that haven't heard me before. So if, if this is you know if, if if this is new to you, I'm happy to talk about uh, any of that type of stuff uh, whenever you want. But 
The other time that I recall is 2008, the off season of 2008, following the 2007 season, which is right. You know, other than the year that we went to the playoffs and lost in excruciating fashion in uh, 2002, five years later, 2007, we go 10 and six. Those are our two best years by far uh, in the new era. And in in 07, you know, we after that year we signed Derek Anderson to a big contract, and we also and we we did a lot of really bizarre moves. Like we brought in uh, the uh, the big guy from uh, we brought in Corey Williams, and there was somebody else that we brought in whose name evades me. Sean Sean Rogers, I think. Yeah, brought him in to uh, bulk up the defense because the idea was that the offense was really good and if we could get the defense you know even close to that then the offense could score a lot of points and we'd win a lot of games that way and to really put it over the top we went out and we got Dante Stallworth now Stallworth wasn't the type of superstar wide receiver that Andre Risen was uh, certainly not to the level that uh, Odell Beckham is but but he was a guy that was thought of as like that complimentary piece we already had Braylon Edwards on the roster had Joe Jorvicious Kellen Winslow so you had now you add a guy like uh, Dante Stallworth, along with Da, who's got the big arm, and that you know the idea was that was going to help put us over the top. And in his case, he ends up getting into an unfortunate. Um, well, I mean, it was a not just unfortunate; it was a criminally negligent situation. He ends up getting in a DUI, hitting and killing a guy, and uh, that and that ended basically his time with the Browns. I think he did actually go on to play in the NFL after that, but in you know true Cleveland fashion, you know we we pay the penalty and and. <laughs> And and that was it for that. So and of course, 2008, we end up going uh, four and twelve. I'm not suggesting that there's a there's a, um, a causal relationship here. I'm not saying that because we didn't have Dante Stallworth, that's why we failed. I'm saying that I've had this this spring edition of a wide receiver time in my Browns past before, and that was just as I say, I'm, I'm digesting all of this, right? And I've just you know uh, iterated to you what was a thought process that in my mind probably occurred in a fraction of the time that it took for me to convey it. Um, fourth uh, points this out to me all the time that a lot of times I have to talk through what I'm thinking about just in order to get all my thoughts out, and I, and I am like that. That's like my personality uh, type. But at any rate. Um, as I got to ruminate on it a little bit more, as I got to think about it a little bit more, uh, I got a lot. I, I got as excited as everybody else around me was getting because Odell Beckham Jr. Um, oh, something else happened too that that really um, put a firecracker under that notion for me personally. But Odell Beckham Jr. has had a you know he's he's had a, he's had a time in New York that's not always been flattering to uh, to him. I mean, you're talking about a guy that's as talented as he is, and the Giants traded him away. Now, there's no um, reason why it can't be that the Giants are just really, really stupid, and we're really, really smart, and certainly, that's the way that it has been interpreted wide and far by everybody that's really commented on this or talked about this, and I'm not suggesting that that's not necessarily the case, but I am saying that uh, it just in there, there's a reason why these things happen, and we gave up, you know, quite a bit. But you know, when, when just looking at the compensation portion of this, you know, the, the pick that we gave up was the pick I guess we got for Danny Shelton. I, although I'm not sure about that because uh, I thought that the Shelton pick was for this year. If not, then that was even worse trade than um, 
than even I realized. But at any rate, we we and we basically gave Danny Shelton away. So whatever. Third round pick, I don't really care about, particularly because it's an extra one. The first round pick, I do. But as it's pointed out, Odell Beckham is a really good player. You plug him into the lineup, and you're getting a superstar. And he really is somebody that is, you know, what top five, top three. Some uh, some people think he's uh, you know top two along with DeAndre Hopkins, maybe even the best in the league. I think that you got to put Antonio Brown in there, but people have their opinions, whatever. Uh, and of course, I can I think a little bit more free about that since he no longer plays for the Stillers. Uh, hey, good luck with that. Good luck not having Antonio Brown and covering um, Odell with Joe Hayden. I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to that contest. But the the distinction between uh, Beckham and and the other guys that I mentioned is that he really is. He, he's he's at the the pinnacle of his career. Um, or I should say he's at the peak of his career, in the prime of his career, at the pinnacle of his position, which is, you know, and this is a phrase that got thrown around a lot, a premium position, as if Jabril Peppers doesn't play a premium position. Okay, well, let's let's dissect that. Uh, is wide receiver a, pre- a wide receiver a premium position? I, I, to me, it all depends on who the quarterback is. Odell Beckham Jr. is a tremendous look. We we know that he's a tremendous talent because his time in New York, where he made a bunch of plays. Giants win anything there? Now, I'm not saying that wins are a wide receiver stat. That's actually the the precise point that I'm making here. Getting a, a, a the wide receiver becomes a premium position when Baker Mayfield is your quarterback, and that's really the key here. The you know just getting in a vacuum. If Tyrod Taylor was our quarterback and we pick up Odell Beckham, I'm I'm really aggravated about what we gave up because in that construct we're going to have to play a lot of close scoring games. And I want a guy that uh, that plays or you know at least was on the trajectory of playing at a high level. And look, there, there's the, the the jury was still out on Peppers. I'm not trying to say that it, you know it was already time to put this guy in the Pro Bowl, um, much less the All Pro team or anything else. I mean he was coming along nicely. But in really examining this, I mean, you know me, I, I spent a lot of time, I spent a lot of time on on Peppers and my disappointment in his play, particularly his rookie year and the start of last year. where I mean, he was improved, you know, and, and he got better as the year went along, but I'm not really sure that we're losing a whole lot going down to Derek Kindred. So, okay, is the drop-off from Derek Kindred or I should say the drop off from Jabril Peppers to Derek Kindred, uh, you know, substantial compared to the addition of Odell Beckham Jr. to a wide receiving core that did not previously have the, have him. Okay, all right. When you, you judge it that way, because you've got number six behind center. All right, all right. That makes that does make it a lot more important of a position and a lot more impactful. And here's the big reason why. How about? You you have you, you're going to pay attention to Odell Beckham Jr. and now Jarvis Landry is going to be able to go one on one. He's no longer going to be the focal point of our wide receiving threats. That's a big deal. He ha, you know in that role he doesn't thrive. In this role he's going to thrive. Oh yeah, by the way, Jarvis Landry is Odell Beckham's best friend, and that is and, and there and the and I mean you know all of this I our wide receiver coach is the same coach that both of those guys had at LSU when they played together there so it could not be better set up but okay you've got 
you know, Beckham just, you know, he's he's demanding double coverage, so they're going to be keying on him. And if Landry's unable to make a play, how about David and Joku coming across, you know, coming underneath? Are you getting excited yet? How about the you know natural maturation and progressions of guys like Rashard Higgins and Antonio Callaway, and the fact that Callaway can rip the t- uh, the lid off the top? It was unfortunate to see Rashard Perriman go away. Even with all these guys in the stable, you still like to have multiple guys that can rip the lid off the top. And I thought that he was a great. Um, acquisition, you know, when we got him last year, I thought he absolutely performed, you know, fantastically well for us. Given, you know, I mean, it, he didn't uh, catch a, uh, an enormous amount of passes, but hey, Baker throws to who's open, and that guy got open a lot, and he made a lot of big plays. I'm not really too worried about the 16 or whatever receptions it was he had, I, but the 20 some odd yards per reception, and the fact that I don't remember him dropping a single pass. Uh, th- so I mean that. A little sad to see that guy go, but it's okay because the receiving threats that we have now. I mean, people are talking about this wide receiver core as if it is foregone conclusion the best in the NFL. I, I mean, I don't know. That's uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know of anyone that's better uh, right off the top of my head. But this this one's pretty good, <laughs> and but just the fact that we're having that conversation seriously, and there's a lot of that going on all over the place with respect to this entire team now. Uh, but, I mean, all those people that I mentioned, I didn't even talk about Duke Johnson. In fact, I didn't talk about any of the running backs because, you know, that's a lot that you're going to have to focus on. That's You know, you got Baker freaking Mayfield that's going to be, you know, dicing up your defense and doing all sorts of pre-snap and pre-pass, you know, stuff with the ball that's going to be psyching you out and causing you to go in the wrong direction. And now you got to cover guys like Beckham and Landry and Njoku and take care of guys like Duke out of the backfield. So now you're going to have to put ample resources really key on stopping the pass. Hello, Nick Chubb. And halfway through the year, Kareem Hunt. Okay. Is this a good place to start on the Kareem Hunt stuff? I don't know. Um, actually, you know what? Why don't I do this? It's, it's, I've talked for a little bit here. I know that uh, we need to take uh, breaks in this format, so I'm going to do that. My name is Easy Weave. This is Easy Does It on Dogs by Nature. Appreciate all your feedback um, in the normal ways that you know how to do it. And we're going to talk about the uh, Kareem Hunt stuff next. And we're going to get back into all. There's a lot to talk about. We'll get back into that. But we're going to do the Kareem Hunt stuff next. Uh, talk at you in a minute. And yeah, I know. Kevin Zeitler for uh, Olivier Vernon and getting Sheldon Richardson and uh, Austin Corbett now moving to right, uh, to right guard. Uh, I know I've been, I've been up on all of it, y'all. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping track of it. Um, I, it's just you know, gotta gotta put put the uh, the the uh, the horse before the cart, as it will. And as I say, I, I did an entire thing about the Kareem Hunt deal. Uh, and it just, like I say, I, I, had, I had technical trouble. Then I had um, it just, it just didn't happen, right? It just, it's, it, it all went wrong. So in talking about it now, uh, I, I and I, I did quite a bit to try to get some. Uh, and I'm not gonna look. I, I, I'm gonna say this first and foremost. Whatever it is, your opinion is of all of it. Um, I. I'm not going to try to change your mind. I'm just, I'm not. I'm not going to try to change your mind. I'm not going to, um, (laughs) I'm not, I'm certainly not going to try to make any kind of political points with this. I come at this from a couple of different ways. Uh, And the first, the first thing is, is that I remember seeing that video when it came out and I was like, oh man, F that guy. (laughs) There's, there's nothing that, that justifies that. You know, and that was basically it. 
Well, now then we sign him. Okay, so now I got all right. Well, now now let me let me find out as much about this as I can. So I did that, and you know I, I watched the, uh, the the thirty second uh, thing that was on TMZ or whatever, and 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 they're you know the, the the multiple views of them. There's like three or four different cut ups of him, um, basically looking like a maniac, and then there's the 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 deal where. Um, okay, if, uh, I'm sure that you've seen you had you've had to have seen it, but if you haven't, for some somehow if you haven't uh, seen it, what ends up you know he's he's like in a corridor. Um, there's there's jawboning going on. There's you know the the young lady in question that is the focal point of all of this uh, appears to be very agitated with him for reasons that you can speculate, and I'm not gonna. It's all there. You can find out what it is, but she's not happy. She is up in his face, and he is responding to it as is another woman that's behind him, who I think is his girlfriend. Uh, as this whole thing comes. Uh, into focus and um it doesn't look at this point like there's anything physical that's happening it looks like they're yelling at each other for whatever reason and it's okay you have obviously people and there's other people around there's uh, there's somebody that's got a phone that some, another uh, lady that's around that has a phone and she gets it ripped out of her hand by some dude uh, as all this is which I, and then that becomes a big drama later on when you watch the video of this whole thing the the, the body cam the police the the uh, Cleveland PD body cam oh, I did I watched it's a hundred it's an hour and a half long video I watched all of it y'all well all but the last maybe I don't know five minutes of it because like seriously you can only you can only you know take in that much walking around but the uh, um, the the video itself. Uh, it, it, like I say, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at all of this now. Hey, I'm no prude. I mean, I, I've lived a life. I, I've been around, you know, and I, I've, I've done my fair share of things. Fortunately, the dumb stuff that I did, of course, I never um, kicked a girl when she was <laughs> on the floor. But I've done dumb stuff, that, things that I wouldn't necessarily want to be blasted out in public um, at any point in my, in my life, personal or professional uh, life. Um. So I'm I'm saying that I I I come at this from a a standpoint of um, hopefully some maturity, but also for just from experience. When I see a bunch of you know young, wildly hammered people that are angry, uh, and it's late at night, and it's in a public place like this, and all of that is going on like when, if, if I'm just looking at that as the setup I'm giving you guys kind of the the ending conclusion of this at the beginning of it so you get where I'm coming from uh, right from the very beginning when I see that picture my and then I know that the way that the story ends is um, nobody is is seriously hurt like nobody has to go to the hospital nobody has to um thank god nobody gets killed nothing bad like that happens i look at it like okay that's i'm 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 grateful for that like that's the first thing that comes to my mind when just looking at it from the the 10 the 30,000 foot view of that okay that doesn't absolve anybody of anything that's the other thing i'm not i don't at any point in time want it to um want to convey anything resembling uh, a, a a thought that um, that what Hunt did was okay or justified, certainly. I mean, it's uh, but at the same time, it's I think it's important to consider everything around the situation and not just the thirty or so seconds that are on the tape. And everything that's around the situation is, as I say, a bunch of young people. 
making decisions and what and look whatever it was that happened they're out partying with each other they come back to the hotel together something happens right and this is the point i'm not going to conjecturize what it was what what i'm saying right now is what's not in dispute it was part of the police report and it was part of the the testimony given by basically everybody that i saw that i and you can see it yourself you just you know uh, pull up the google and many of you probably already have um but they're hanging out, they're, they're partying together, whatever, and they go back to the place, and something happens where all of a sudden this girl and her friend can no longer be in this, and it's a hotel complex, but it's also an apartment complex. I don't know, is, can a hotel be a hotel complex? I don't know. But it is. But like when you get up to a certain level, it's an apartment complex, and he had an apartment there. So it was actually his place that he kicked her out of. And then that's where the... the uh, the all the the the, the brouhaha, the Donnybrook, all of that ensued. Okay, so as far as all of that goes, um, I, I'm again, it's 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 one of these things that uh, I. I I wish anybody that's that age would make better decisions um, than, you know, to go out and be irresponsibly hammered. And not to say that there's a way to get responsibly hammered. I'm, I'm just saying that if you're going to if you're going to play in that league, right, then then you're going to have to make sure that you rein it in so that you go you don't go overboard and do really, really bad stuff. And there are people that can be otherwise good people, not making a judgment call here, I'm just saying that in the realm of humanity, there are people that are otherwise relatively good people that make really, really bad decisions and do really harmful things when, you know, when, when they get to that point. And, and like I say, you, you can run the gamut on all of this stuff. The fact that everybody walked away from that incident is, is to me, that's, that's the good news. The fact that it it happened the way that it did, and then he apparently was not truthful about it. Um, it that, to me, that entirely justified. And if I if I cared, I would feel bad for the Kansas City Chiefs, but entirely justified. They're releasing him. And at that point, if he, you know, it's you know, it's like this. People say, um, you know, uh, the that everybody deserves uh, forgiveness. And, and look, I'm I'm somebody that's that I've I've never really been uh, hidden about you know my my uh, spiritual beliefs. I'm certainly a, a believer, as it were, and, and forgiveness is a big portion of that. And uh, and and I am a very personal believer in that. You know, every saint has a past, every sinner has a future, and all of that. But you know, at the same time, actions do have consequences, right? I mean, being forgiven is not the same thing as uh, you know being um, blameless. I guess. I guess it is in a, in a macro sense. Don't try to you know nitpick that too much. I'm, not, I'm certainly not trying to get into a theological discussion. That's not this, the point of this at all. Just just saying that um, you know, hey, look, there's a there's a standard of conduct you have to follow if you want to play in the NFL. Talked about this with Josh Gordon. The price of playing in the NFL is you can't burn dope, dude. And whether it's and I, again, I'm not making a judgment call on that either. It's the price of playing in the NFL. And the price of playing in the NFL, Kareem Hunt, is you can't be getting all... Well, first of all, you shouldn't be doing it in the first place, obviously. But you can't be getting all hammered and kicking people when they're down. And hitting a woman under virtually any circumstance. Unless she's, like, holding a gun to your head or whatever. I mean, you know, it's not... It's, you can get, you'll go down a rabbit trail there, and I'm not doing that either. And so, if, you know, if the penalty for him was... Um, 
you know, basically a lifelong ban from the NFL and no team having anything to do with him, then I would have been perfectly fine with that, and I would have considered to be prudent, just. And while, you know, in a, and while that doesn't mean that that Kareem Hunt as a person is irredeemable. Again, I'm not trying to get you know too too philosophical about all of this, but it's just that for the NFL, I mean, there's a price to pay for that sort of thing. Um, now, that's you know kind of the judgment that I make here on this, but. The Cleveland Browns' role in my life is not really to uphold the moral judgments that I make about things. And, I, you know, you take this however you want to take it, honestly. I'm just, I'm, I'm just telling you how I feel about the and, and what I think about it, trying to put everything in proper perspective. Because, when I, like a lot of you, when I heard the news about the signing, I didn't like it. I, wasn't, I was not thrilled about it. And where a lot of people struggle is, I love the Browns. And I, but I really hate this move. How do I reconcile those two things? And the main point of the um, the big show that I did that I ended up not um, doing was that you can do those things. It's it's actually not that hard to reconcile the two things. And I'm not trying to, you know, I, I hope that throughout all of this. Uh, you understand that I'm, you know, I'm very sympathetic to the, uh, the, you know, the young lady and, and what she went through and all this, and I, and I don't think it's right. I, I, I would hope that she's going to get some sort of retribution in some sort of way. I don't know if that's already happened. All I'm saying is that um, it's, you know, I, 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 I feel bad that, that all of that happened. If Kareem Hunt is eligible to play in the NFL, the Browns. You know, John Dorsey, the general manager, affectionately known here as Meathead, if John John Dorsey has a job, you know, it's like it's like um, if you if you are if somebody's running for elected office and you don't you know you agree with a lot of what they say, but they don't necessarily have the the uh, the best personal life. I'm sure somebody can think of anybody you know like that. You know, you can you can rationalize it by simply you know pointing out that well, I'm not really hiring them. Uh, to you know, run the uh, you know the local church or the morality div- division of you know of of whatever big. There, I mean, they they need to not be uh, shady. That's that's an important thing. But uh, but you know, the morality is a that, that's that's one of these things. There there's <laughs> you know you get into a conversation about standards and and what is and what is not moral, and you find out that a lot of people have different views on these sorts of things. Uh, so all I'm saying is that I have I've kind of I've kind of laid out for you the way that I feel about this. But John Dorsey does not have a responsibility to me or anybody else to do anything other than make the Cleveland Browns roster the best that it possibly can be, which, by the way, is the responsibility that he has, both to me and you and to everybody, as it relates to uh, his role with the Cleveland Browns. So, um, I can't really get too mad at him over that, as far as that goes. And while that doesn't, you know, that doesn't, well, okay, that's what it is, and, you know, it's just we move on with it. it it's, it's like this, okay? Um, I remember when Manny Ramirez left Cleveland. You know, what the hell are you talking about Manny Ramirez? I, I, just bear with me here. That was a player that, because, you know, when the Indians 
got really good in the 90s. I got very, very emotionally attached to that team. I could still, I mean, who, who can't name the uh, 1995 starting lineup off the top of your head? Of course. Batting left and playing center field was Kenny Lofton. Batting switch and playing center uh, shortstop was the great Omar Vizquel. Batting third, playing shortstop, um, uh, playing second base was Carlos Baerga. Batting fourth and playing left field was the incredible Albert Bell. Batting fifth at DH and switch hitting was Eddie Murray. Batting sixth, <laughs> sixth, and playing third base, the lefty Jim Tomey. Batting seventh was this guy, right fielder, Manny Ramirez, who was a rookie right-hander. Uh, batting eighth was the first baseman, left-hander Paul Sorrento. And batting ninth, your favorite Indian and mine, Sandy Alomar Jr., the catcher who batted right-handed. And, of course, we had uh, El Presidente Dennis Martinez, who was a starting pitcher. Tony Pena caught on the days that he pitched. And we had Earl Hershiser and uh, a couple other guys that were that were pitching back in uh in, back back in those days. Anyway, that 1995 team was like my, and the year before they were really good too in the strike-shortened year, that was like my introduction to baseball, and that coincided with the Browns leaving town, and you know, when you have a loss like the Browns, you know, leaving town, I'm 16 years old, that was crushing. And the Indians coming along and getting not just good, but really, 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 really good at that exact moment was a, uh, you know, it was a real, I gotta tell you, I mean, I latched onto them uh, in a big-time way and Manny Ramirez was one of those guys that I was fiercely proud was a Cleveland Indian and I didn't quite understand the marketplace of baseball uh, at that time and it was in 2000 you know after that season and I remember I remember watching his final game at the Jake and it will always be the Jake and he hit a home run in his final at bat at the Jake um and and that was and he, he was he was so good and everybody knew it everybody knew when it went off the bat that this is it this is his last moment for us and wouldn't you know it he ends up signing a a contract with the Red Sox and I, I was crushed over that cuz I really was emotionally invested in the person of Manny Ramirez um and I realized that, you know, because then that offseason came and went, I got into the, and I'm not trying to compare Manny Ramirez to Kareem Hunt here, other than in the sense that as that offseason went along, we then got, you know, spring training, uh, you know, came and and went, and uh, we got into um, minor league games, and then we got into, uh, you know, the, the, the season started, and guess what? I was still very enthralled by I, I was still feeling that sense of uh, victory when the Indians were winning games and when I saw Manny Ramirez wearing that stupid Boston Red Sox uniform I'm thinking you know, I, I don't really have that connection to you I, I don't you I, I suddenly you, you don't you don't look as sexy to me anymore I mean I I'm, I'm being uh, what do you colloquial or whatever, but it just didn't have the same. Um, you just didn't. It, you just didn't. I, I didn't have the same feeling. It wasn't like now all of a sudden you're with the Red Sox and I, I'm a fan of the Red Sox of all of all bastard franchise. I, I mean that's that's like I mean the, the order is um, the order of hatred goes, and I mean this is this is non-negotiable. It is the Ravens, the Steelers, the Yankees. The Red Sox, Corey. That's the order, and and you don't you don't bypass the order. Um, so I realized that, and meanwhile, the guys that were still there, like Jim Tomey and and a lot of the other ones that were there, I still love those guys. Um, but I but then as they kind of peeled off, and all those guys, you know, eventually they all went away, and they all ended up playing for for somebody else. Ill Lofton uh, left, came back, and left and came back multiple times. 
And what I realized, and there was there's a Cleveland radio guy that you've probably heard named Mike Trevisano. I heard say this a long time ago, and he's exactly right. You root for the name on the front of the uniform, not the name on the back. And the thing of it is, all of these guys, all of their time here is fleeting. All of it. You know, a guy. Um, you know, think think of who was big in the league like five years ago. That actually that'd be something to, to to do. Go back and look at like a a forecast of the NFL season from like five years ago. You'd probably be shocked at some of the names of people that are being talked about that are basically gone. They're forgotten. Uh, you know, that are, that are either that are not in the league anymore or a shell of what they once were. It goes quick. So, you know, I mean, and and look, I'm. I'm somebody that I'm, I'm going to have a problem. Like, I'm going to have a, you know, you, you know that your pet is going to die someday style of problem with Baker Mayfield and Miles Garrett because I have become so emotionally attached to those two guys that it's going to be very difficult for me when those guys, I'm not going to even consider the possibility that they could ever play for a team other than Cleveland. But someday they are going to stop playing, and that's going to make me very sad. Just like uh, Joe Thomas you know, not you know. Actually, it's it's kind of mixed with Joe because, in, in one hand, you know, him being injured and having to retire from the Browns was almost like getting paroled. So, you know, I mean, that, that was that's one thing. And the second thing of that is, you look at Joe now. He and I think that the pec injury, I mean, or the triceps injury, whatever it was, I mean, he he, you know, he couldn't. He he had to work out at a at a you know Herculean level in order to you know keep up that Herculean physique that he had to play left tackle at the you know the crazy greatest of all time level that he did. But then when he's not unable to do that for five six months or however long it was before he you know was was cleared to do it, now he's lost all this weight. And I think that was the death knell to his career. It's just I'm not going to put all this time to try to do all this again. You know I, I I've proven everything there is to prove. Uh, and so I see him out there now. He is really really slim down he looks fantastic and he is having a ball like you see this guy I'm, I'm so happy for joe thomas and i'm so happy that he gets to be out in the media when the browns are finally getting good i mean how cool is that so i mean joe thomas is like one of those rare exceptions to the rule where you could love him um you know unconditionally and un in an, in an unlimited fashion for the entirety of his career and afterward without any uh sense of yeah, put that in your pipe and smoke it, Hayden. Uh, you know, Joe Thomas is, you know, he'll be a Brown for life. He is a Brown for life. And and, and so that's 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 what I am envisioning for, you know, Baker and Miles, like, you know, 20, 25, 30 years down the road. But that's what I'm saying. Like, it's, it's but really, anybody else that's on this team? And I, and I love this team. And there are players on this team that I absolutely, I mean, I adore so many guys. I mean, Christian Kirksey, I mean, he's one of my favorite to- Browns all time uh, guys like Joel Batonio uh, and some of the new blood like Larry Ogunjobi and guy you know I already mentioned Antonio Callaway David Njoku and the the, the talent on this team it's sick y'all but the thing is is I know first of all I know in my head we're going to lose those guys anyway a lot of them anyway and in a couple of years we're going to be basically breaking the bank and it's going to be Baker on offense and Miles on defense and probably whatever else we can we can throw in there i mean and 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 guys like Denzel Ward i love those guys but it's but i do kind of have this standoffish nature cuz i understand that this is a cyclical thing and particularly for the running back position it's a cyclical thing um, you know what else is a cycle? Us being terrible for as long as we were. I mean, and, and it's 
it's all. I mean, you, you you've all seen the factory of sadness video. It's almost statistically impossible for us to be as bad for as long as we were, and yet we were. So back to the Kareem Hunt thing. Of course, it's always been about the Kareem Hunt thing. I'm not happy with uh, with what he did. I'm not I'm not especially happy that he can he gets to continue doing what he's doing um, after doing what he did. But you know, if it's going to be for anybody, I'm glad it's for us. And I, I'm just being <laughs> I'm I'm just shooting from the hip and, and point blank. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't, there's a lot of guys in the NFL. I, I despised uh, Aqib Tlaib, uh, for, uh, for example, as a player. Cause he, uh, he, cause he tried gouging some guy's eyes out a couple of years ago. You know, they're, they're, but that guy's playing. And there are guys, I mean, Ray Rice played after, I mean, we didn't know, you know, with the, until the entire elevator uh, video came out, but there are guys that have done, and I'm not, again, this is, it's, it's difficult to say any of this because it sounds like I'm, I'm uh, condoning or whatever the, uh, the actions of Hunt. I'm not doing that at all. I'm saying there are guys that have done worse and that have played and that have actually hurt us. So, look, Kareem Hunt will be on this team probably maximum three years, maybe, maybe he'll be with us that long. And if not, I mean, and actually, by that t- what is he? Twenty three? He'll be twenty six. You know, running backs get old quick. I'm not, I'm not being flippant. I'm not saying it's right. It's like I always say, it ain't justice. It just is. You know, Duke Johnson's already getting to that point where uh, you know, people are talking about trading him because he's getting old. He's like what twenty seven? I mean, it's it doesn't take much. If, you know, and, and running and, and the reason for, the reason for that, I could probably do an entire show one time because it used to be that if you got a good running back, oh, you rode that dude until he retired as your team leader in rushing yardage. You know that was the that was the way that it was. I mean, there were, and there were guys that, like you got a you got a franchise back man. You hitched your wagon to that guy. It was like I was talking about earlier. It was just a, it was a run centric league, but a couple of things changed that, and the biggest thing I think was the salary cap uh, era that just that just changed all of that. So, you know, all that to say that anybody that we have that's good, we're going to lose. You know what? If you feel bad about Kareem Hunt being on the Cleveland Browns, I want you to balance that against the way that you felt when you saw number 73 laying on the ground. Think about that. During a season in which we didn't win a single game, and you not only did we not win a single game, we had to watch... Our favorite guy. Now, I mean, I, I know I'm speaking for you when I say, guy, it's like family. And we had to watch him lay on the ground. We're all saying the same thing. Get up, Joe. Come on. Get up, Joe. It's okay. You can miss a snap or two. It's okay, brother. Get up. And he didn't. I mean, he did, but I'm saying not, 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 to, ever, not to ever play again for us. But you know what? The number 73 will never be worn by any other Brown ever because nobody ever wore it better than him. Nobody ever played left tackle, period, for anybody better than Joe Thomas. But we had to live that, right? It wasn't fair, was it? It wasn't fair when Antonio Brown kicked our punter in the face and nobody did anything about it. Life ain't fair. <laughs> That's kind of the whole reason for the Factory of Sadness thing. So, you know, when I boil it all down... It's all fleeting, and I wrote I, again. I, I root for the name on the front of the of the uniform, not the name on the back. And if Kareem Hunt can get us some touchdowns, I'm I'm good with it. <laughs> I'm good with it. I don't have to like him. Um, and look, like I said before, every saint has a past. Every sinner has a future. Maybe he maybe he ends up. You know this this whole uh, situation ends up turning him into a guy that does you know amazingly great things in his lifetime. I'm not going to speculate or conjecturize any further on that point. Um, I'm just, again, when it comes down to 
you know, the, the, the brass tacks in all of this is that the guy is a sensational talent that was going to play for somebody. John Dorsey got him for a steal. And, and then when you bring it all back around, <laughs> when you bring it all back around to, okay, when, when, you, when you put – see, because I thought it was important. I couldn't just mention Kareem Hunt, right, and then just, you know, keep on barreling down the tracks. I thought, no, it's important. I need to, I need to talk about the Kareem Hunt thing. It was a good springboard to get into um, that discussion, and I feel like I have said, you know, more succinctly than I did in the, in the big long thing. The, what, what I recorded initially was probably three times the 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 the, uh, the time that it took me to say all of that. So I am getting better, you know, right? A little bit in the old brevity department. Um, but you know, the, at the end of the day, you, you know, the guy you you don't you don't have to respect him or even like him to to love the Cleveland Browns. And look, when it comes to uh, we could sign fifteen Kareem Hunts and all of the Vontez Burfics out there, and he's available. We could sign all those guys, and we still are not going to reach the level of, I don't know, depravity, thuggery, whatever you want to say about teams like the Steelers or the Ravens. So, you know, I, I, it's where, I, where I come down with it is, I, I, if it were up to me, things would have been different. It's not up to me, guys on our team. It's got to be for anybody. It might as well be us. And so now looking at where this puts him in our lineup and bringing it back to what all this looks like now. Well, okay, that's a good moment for me to step away. And we'll come back going to talk about what what now this this team looks like offensively and defensively. And of course, the big the big can't can't even I can't even with this, right? I can't even try to do one of these without talking about the draft. I mean, it's close too. It's different though this year, right? Because you don't have to, it's not like the every day is is uh, 75 hours long waiting for it because, you know, in my mind I was just, you know, just shredding my fingernails just oh, we got we got to drop picker, we got to drop picker, we got to drop picker, we got and, and not knowing, you know, thinking it's going to be Josh Allen, it's going to be Josh Allen. Who I think is going to be good, but it's just not the same. Easy weave, easy does it here on Dogs by Nature. Going to talk about the offense, defense, and the draft right here in a moment. And look, if you want to take me to task on the Kareem Hunt stuff or anything else, I, go for it. I mean, I'm, I have no problem. Um, people have a problem with my opinions. I got nothing to hide here. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just being honest with you about what I think about everything. And that's it. I, I, that's the only filter that I have is just... just being flat honest with you about where I come from on everything, and hopefully that's enough. And if, but if my if my thoughts were so repugnant that you can't stand to hear my voice one second longer, then I don't know why you're still listening. You probably would have turned me off earlier. But hey, look, I'm I'm sorry, and you know, I'll try to do better with with just just being a person generally. But the Browns are going to do better. I like that segue. They're going to do better uh, offensively, defensively. Uh, well, they're definitely going to do better offensively. As I mentioned earlier, the addition of uh, Odell Beckham Jr. And, and it's not the only thing that's that's changed. I mentioned earlier we, we uh, traded Kevin Zeitler for Olivier Vernon. And uh, that we'll talk about that with the defense here in a moment. But that means that Austin Corbett, the number 33 pick overall last year, was uh, has now you know, basically uh, been bequeathed the right guard position, and that's where he's going to play. And you know, I, I'm I'm totally at peace with that. And, and I, I reason I couch it like that is because I it's 
it's I think that there's a condition that a lot of of particularly diehard DBNers have where there you just there has to be somebody in the draft that you just have to be unhappy with. And there's so many people that just wrote off Austin Corbett as a bust. Talking to you Bernie that just thought that he was that I mean it was even said to me multiple times that even if he turns out to have a great NFL career it was still a wasted pick. What the bloody hell are you talking about? The whole point of drafting players is to get guys that can have. If, if you draft a guy and he has a good career, guess what? You nailed it, bud. The expectations people have for the draft process. Oh, by the way, um, I while I could do it, I, I don't think that I'm going to get into a big, uh, long thing about the Sashi Brown versus John Dorsey because, man, Big Tom Brown just got everybody whipped into a frenzy over that, and I just, you know, I've, I've already beaten that subject to, to death and back, so I don't know that it's necessary to do so again, but... Um, but the uh, conversation about Corbett is one that I'm always wanting to get into because it's like this. And, and I wrote an article about this last year when uh, going into the offseason because that was it was a pick that a lot of people had a problem with because they're like, well, why would you spend the th-? you know? And I made a, this point during the draft day, you know, during um, the coverage that we had on the second day after the first night when I was, you know, on my, you know, drunk from uh, Baker, <laughs> you know, moment, moments. And, you know, the Browns had all day long to look at everybody. They, 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 the guy that they were going to take at 33 is a guy that they really, really wanted and had all day to think about and had all day to consider. And they chose Austin Corbett. And I think it it it, um, it got a lot of people to scratch their heads because it's like okay well we have Joel Batonio because Corbett played tackle at Nevada, in fact he succeeded Joel Batonio as a tackle at Nevada, and uh, but a lot of people had him projected as a guard. Not everybody. There were some people that had him uh, thought of as a tackle, and when we drafted him, that was kind of the presumption. Oh okay, I guess the Browns are considering moving him to tackle. But that didn't last very long, and so then people are like, well, if he was going to play guard, why would we do that when we have Joel Batonio and Kevin Zeitler and J.C. Treader for that matter, because uh, Corbett can, can probably move over into center if necessary. At least these are the, the thought processes that people are having. And I made the point at the time, and I think that it's it has – I mean, you, don't, you can't know these things without being part of the internal conversations, but I'm just, you know, like I say, reading the stitches on the fastball here and trying to um, – that's not even it. It's just, it's just trying to get a gauge on – if something, you know, is, is not explainable and it seems obviously out of place, then I, I, those, those, sorts of things, those sorts of things fascinate me, especially when you look at – all the other picks that John Dorsey made on day one and day two, including the pick that came two picks after Corbett. And this is this is really the, the nut of it for me when it comes to Austin Corbett. You're looking at, you know, talked about Joe Thomas earlier. Joe Thomas, at the time, at this time, at the time of free agency, actually the day of free agency, or maybe a day or two before free agency, he, he held out that long before announcing that he was not going to come back and play. Now, he, he may have told the team sooner than that. Um, 
and I, I don't think I, I think that look when you have a guy that you know you play football you, that's your dream and you do it your entire career and you love doing it you know that decision to quit that's a, that's a big decision so I have no problem with the man uh, for anything that he ever does ever because he's Joe freaking Thomas and I love him to death but I'm saying I don't, I don't have any problem with him um, deciding to take his his time up until the last prudent amount of time and you remember we tried to go get Nate Solder who was on the free agent market and that didn't pan out. Um, so that's why I'm saying we, we probably had a heads up before he made the announcement officially officialized into officialdom. But uh, when when that happens, okay, even if you know about it, all right, what do you do about it? It's not like there are left tackles falling out of the sky, and it's a it's a difficult position to fill. I mean, we were <laughs> we were spoiled all those years to have you know excellent left tackle play to guard uh, guys like you know Cody Kessler and Ken Dorsey. I mean, you know, it's it's. You know what I was saying earlier about life not being fair? Well, there you go. So now we're in the the, envi- the unenviable position where we have to take we got we got to do something about the left tackle position, and we did what we could do in free agency. We signed Greg Robinson. He was basically it. He was the consolation prize after Nate Solder. There weren't a whole lot, and there was like one other guy in all of free agency that played left tackle that was even signed last year. I remember uh, looking this up when I when I was writing the article about it. So the, the free agency market was slim pickings, and Greg Robinson was you know one of those guys like okay we're we are going to um, well, well the first thing we're going to do is we're going to eliminate Spencer Drango from the cop from the uh, the uh, conversation which I thought was a mistake because I thought Drango held up pretty well actually um, in his role there filling in for for uh, Joe when he went down in, in 2016 but whatever they 86 Spencer Drango and said, but we are now going to throw everything else that we have at this problem. And so the everything else that they had to throw at this problem was Greg Robinson and whatever it was they were able to do in the draft. And and we didn't know this at the time, the, the back pocket um, option is move Joel Batonio over to left tackle. So these are what you're looking at when you're on the clock at number 33. Well... Take a look at the guys that were drafted last year to play tackle after 33. Really, just, I mean, it was just not a very good year for tackles um, in the NFL. Kind of slim pickings. And the other factor to have here is you got the Giants that are on the clock right after you. And it's pretty well known that the Giants are needing offensive line help. It's also pretty well known that since they took Saquon Barkley at number two, like a bunch of lunatics. Not Saquon's a great player, but come on, you got thirty-eight-year-old Eli Manning. I mean, so but that's what they—that's what they do. So if they take Saquon at number uh, two, they're not going to be taking a running back at number thirty-four. So with that being the way it was, you knew that you wanted Nick Chubb. And you don't think that the Giants are going to trade the pick, obviously. Somebody's going to, you know, reach up and snag Chubb. Although, I'm not, I'm not sure that Chubb, I mean, certainly he showed that he was worthy of that position. I'm not sure that he was on that, that many people's uh, draft boards. But you know that you want Chubb. You also know that you're going to get him at 35 if you want him. So you also know that you want an offensive lineman. And there's not really a whole lot of options to choose from. Uh, you got the guy, Connor Williams, who ended up... I mean, he was the guy that was the highest-touted tackle on the board, and when he was drafted by the Cowboys, they announced him as a guard, which is where he ended up playing. So, the tackle selection, not very good. So, do you just throw you know a high pick at a guy just because he can play tackle? What I think we ended up doing was looking at the situation as a whole and saying, okay, Corbett, we, we, we feel pretty confident he can play somewhere. Maybe... 
He can play tackle. And if he can play tackle, we've already got Petonio at guard. We got Treader at center. We got Zeitler at the other guard. And we got uh, Hubbard that we just signed to play right tackle. We're ready to go. And we don't have to move anybody. Well, look, that's one of these things you can't really know for sure until you get the guy in there and it didn't work out. All right, so we brought in Corbett, found out pretty quick that it wasn't going to work out for him at tackle. All right. Good thing he wasn't the only thing, right? A good thing it was he wasn't the only swing of the bat that we took. One of the swings of the bat that we took was a guy that didn't even get drafted, and that was Den's, uh, Desmond Harrison, who we picked up after the draft. And that ended up being... Um, well, I don't know if you can say it's a plan A. After all the dust settled, he ended up being the first option to go out there. After. It was so weird. Right before the preseason begins, uh, we got Joel Batonio announced that he's going to play left tackle. And it was the, it was the, the most bizarre thing, because and, and, and which meant that Corbett would play left guard, and that was going to be the thing. And so we're all watching, like, okay, well, you know, Joel was really great at uh, guard. Can he play tackle? And in, in typical Hugh fashion, he goes through this entire thing during the preseason, and then right before the regular season begins, he announces that, no, Joel's going to move back to left guard, and Desmond Harrison is now going to start at left tackle. Well, now people are really scratching their head about the Corbett thing. You know, if you're going to do that, why not just do that from the very, very beginning? Well, he had an injury, yada, yada. Harrison looked okay for a while, but he also had some really, really harsh struggles, um, and it didn't work out. But, you know, also Hubbard struggled mightily while Hugh was in town as well, and then amazingly snapped into it when uh, when, when Freddie Kitchens took over the offense. So, you know, maybe we were hasty in our judgment of Harrison. Bottom line is, on Austin Corbett, a year later, now you have an option to move if you, if you feel like like uh, Corbett can play guard, well, now you got an option to move Zeitler or potentially Treader, you know, depending on, on where you're thinking at, at, at that point in time that you're making the decision, and offload a huge contract. Yeah, you're going to have to eat, you know, quite a bit of it, but um, you offload, for the most part, you offload a huge contract for a ready-made replacement, and in return, you get a pretty good pass rusher you know we talked earlier about premium positions and you know what's more premium a guard or an edge player that can get pressure on the passer tough to say because i think that the most important position obviously is quarterback the second most important position and third most important position are protecting the passer and rushing the passer and which one of them is two or three depends on what you have on your team at the time we're asking the question so is Kevin Zeitler more valuable than Olivier Vernon when we've got uh, Austin Corbett on the team? Uh, I would say no, and so that was, I think, a good a, a good trade for us. I'm happy with that trade. I thought that you know my, my druthers would be that, that's actually, that's an actual word druthers. It, might, it would be that uh, we would put you know keep things the way they were because that interior unit played really really well last year and you have Corbett available to play quality depth but you know that just that, yeah that's really it's really a luxurious outlook um I'm not and yeah I mean if if now if one of our interior guys goes down it's it's going to be you know painful but um but you can't expect to have a first round guy sitting on the bench just to play interior backup especially if you have an opportunity to add a uh, a guy that's a quality pass rusher so I'm great with with uh, with that move with um, with trading Zeitler and with putting Austin Corbett there, um, and, and so all of this was 
you know, talking about the offense and the reason that the line is so important now is, and we did re-sign Greg Robinson. We brought him back. I'm very, very pleased about that because I thought that was a really important piece of the, you know, the offseason um, that, 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 you know, him and Perriman both coming back was, was really what I wanted to have happen, that we only got one. I'm glad that it was Robinson because, you know, again, left, left tackles are hard to find, you know, wide receivers that can stretch the field are hard to find, but easier than left tackles. Okay. It's just what it is. Would have liked to have gotten back both of them, but you know, also it's, it's like, you know, I would have, I would have felt good about, um, you know, losing Robinson if we would have brought on like Tyron Smith or somebody, you know what I mean? Like if we, we brought in Beckham, okay, I feel a little bit better about losing Perriman. In this case, we didn't, bring in anybody yet to uh, compete well I guess we brought in Kendall Lamb I don't know if he's he's not really in there to compete but um, you know you bring back Robinson and whether or not you think Robinson is a good player or Hubbard is a good player the fact is those two guys were part of a unit that performed at an elite level for the second half of last year there's no other way to describe the way the offensive line played uh, maybe coaches are the secret superstars so all that to say that the offensive line you know, the offensive line it really shouldn't be a liability. Like you and I are accustomed to the offensive line being a liability. And a big reason for that, because of number six. Because the kid playing quarterback is gets the ball out quickly. And that 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 really um, that that cancels out a multitude of sins. If you're if you have a guy that can do those things, I've always talked about guys that can read defenses, that can make smart, quick decisions and sharp, accurate throws from the pocket predominantly. But Baker can also do it while on the run in in either direction. Guys, guys, amazing. And because he's amazing, when you look at the offensive line situation, and now you look at our backfield situation of Nick Chubb. Um, Duke Johnson, and eventually Kareem Hunt. Don't forget Dontrell Hilliard. He's he's still there. We still got him. You know, there's... Uh, and then you look at the, the tight end position. Now, we lost uh, uh, Darren Fells, but we also brought in uh, Meaty's guy from, um, from KC. I think Demetrius Harris is his name. And we got... Um, Seth DeValve, who I still think has, I, I think that there's untapped potential there. Like, I, I could see Fell, or uh, not Fells, I could see DeValve being a guy, especially because he played more fullback last year, and I think that he could swing into that and also be that second tight end, H-back type guy. I could see him being a guy that catches, that nobody's expecting to catch like 20, you know, 25, 30 passes or something next year, which isn't a great number for a tight but I'm saying he's one of these guys that can be, he's another one of these weapons, right? And David Njoku, I mean, he's on the verge of breakout stardom. And that isn't even getting to the wide receiver positions where, you know, Jarvis Landry and David, uh, I'm sorry, Odell Beckham Jr., go ahead and find a tandem that's better than that. And you got Antonio Callaway now taking the lid off the top. And, you know, he's their third receiver. And Rashard Higgins doing what he can do. Uh, that's a very, I mean, that's the best wide receiving core I've ever seen us have. I mean, Braylon and uh, Jurovich is not, it, what we got now is better than that <clears throat> by <clears throat> by quite a bit. And when you look at the totality of the offense, it's understandable why there's people out there with a straight face saying the Cleveland Browns are going to win the division. I saw a guy, and that I, I'm not telling you his name is not a slight. It's honestly just because I wasn't, like, I was watching a bunch of videos, and this dude just came on YouTube, and I'm like, eh, this guy's pretty good. And he was like, you know, point blank, the Cleveland Browns are going to be a dynasty for the next time. I mean, he, he was, you know, 
throwing the gauntlet down. I'm not. Look, I mean, I'm 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 as excited as excitable and as optimistic as anybody can be. But <laughs> let's just let's chill out. You don't like I say. Go back and look at what the league was five years ago. Read the headlines of what was happening five years ago, and consider just how fast things can change. Think of how vastly things have changed within two years. Shoot, don't even go that far. Think of how think of how different your outlook of this team is right now compared to the way it felt the afternoon of the second Steelers game that we just lost this last year before you found out you got fired which I think was the next day. Think of how you felt about that team at that moment compared to the way you feel about it right now. Stuff can change quick. That's what I'm saying. But right now, I mean, there's no reason not to um, – look, that's, that's, the, that's the sober you know, analysis of this and the you know, don't be uh, – don't, don't count your chickens. You never know when they'll turn on you type stuff. I mean, I, I, I'm good for that anyway. But you can still be sober and look at this and say, look, this is a team – I say on paper, this is a team that on the field last year, once you realize once Hugh was out of the way, basically just getting him the hell out of the way was all it took. And we were, I mean, offensively, we were fixed. And by fixed, I mean we went out and scored a bunch of points in basically every game that we played. I think the Houston game we didn't score a whole lot. The Denver game we didn't score a whole lot. But look, we, we were not ineffectual in those games. Oh, the Houston games was, it was its own thing. It was, it was that, that was a, an important game for a, a variety of reasons. But be that as it may, um, offensively, we took off. And in the second half, I mean, you hear everybody talking about how fun of a team the Cleveland Browns are to watch. Well, what, what do you think that means? It means because we got this offense that can go down the field and score points because we got six, baby. You know, that's 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 the bottom line because Stone Cold said so. So people that are looking at this team right now, when you look at the way this team performed, because people are saying, on paper, this team is... You don't have to look at on paper. Look at what we did last year without Odell Beckham. And now you throw that guy into the mix. What he's going to be able to do now to keep defenses honest, and defenses are going to defenses are going to have a tough time, especially with a Baker Mayfield that has had a full offseason and is no longer a rookie. A non-rookie Baker Mayfield is going to be dissecting your defense and has all of these, you know, embarrassment of riches. You tell me a quarterback that's got a better supporting cast in the league. Who? Who's got a better supporting cast than Baker Mayfield? These are these are true and good feels to have about all of this. And so, you know, look, you know, go nuts with it. I mean, do feel free, you know, to uh, overdraft Browns players during fantasy football when that comes around. You know, all of that, you know, get, get you know, but hey, you know, if you're going to go out there talking trash to uh, other fan bases, just, just remember this stuff goes around quick. I ain't going to tell you what to do. I, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't presume... To, uh, to know enough about you to give you life advice. I'm just telling you, for me, as for me in my house, I'm going to do the, uh, the, the the Paul Brown method of, you know, when you win, say nothing. When you lose, say even less. That, that's, 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 that's where I'm going to be with all of this. But, you know, while I don't think anybody is, is really doubting that we're going to be out there and score points, um, the big question is going to be what we do on defense. Now, I think that when looking at the defense as a whole, I, I was uh, listening to uh, who's the dude, uh, Skip Bayless. I was watching a lot of media for, and I, and I don't quite honestly, but honestly, with this whole Odell Beckham stuff, I I, I wanted to kind of soak it in a little bit. I wanted I wanted to because I couldn't talk to you guys about it because I had the lip thing that I talked about at the beginning of the show. Um, so I, I watched a bunch of other guys and. 
I because I, I wanted to, I just kind of wanted to have that, that I wanted I wanted to feel those good feels I wanted to hear people saying good things about the team that I love you know because it look it could all go wrong and they're not gonna be having good things to say and these times are fleeting so you know I'm listening to Skip Bayless he's talking about how um, how the team lost Greg Williams and what a huge loss that is because he was such you know an important member of the team he, you know one of the best defensive coordinators and all this. I, I mean, I watched that dude for two years. And you know what I think about Greg Williams. Mad respect for the guy. He was my first choice to be the head coach. And I wish him well with the Jets. I I hope he does well there. In fact, I hope that uh, Adam uh, Gase has the... um, you know the inevitable, uh, you know, coke freakout moment. That I shouldn't say that. That's mean. But it, it, look at the guy. He just looks like that. That's that's in his future. And then Greg Williams takes over and, and ends up becoming the interim coach of that team. That's what I hope. You know, well, I don't hope anything bad to happen to anybody. I'm just saying I'd like for Greg to get another shot. So I think the guy showed that he could be a decent head coach. But as an but as a defensive coordinator, for real, bro. I mean, you. I saw this defense for two years. I mean. The, Con- con- constitutionally, institutionally, could not tackle. Now, you know, the trade-off there is that they did make a lot of plays, stripping balls and so on. But yeah, I, I, give me a give me a team that can tackle. And so, Greg, I got I got nothing. Um, I got I actually I got nothing but but uh, but love for you. Quite honestly, he's he's one of the few. In fact, he may be one of the only coaches that I can think of. That well, no, no, Rob Chudzinski definitely Chud. But but outside of that, he's one of the few coaches that, after leaving here, I'm like, yeah, man, I'll be pulling for you, even though you know, even though you're not here anymore, I'm, I'm still gonna be pulling for you, even um, though you're not here anymore. So I'm, I'm I'm you know, I like Greg, but but I'm not really all that upset that we that we lost Greg, and I, and I think during the uh, the Freddie Kitchens, uh, which is the last time I talked to you guys, the the cast that we did about that. We didn't know who his uh, defensive coordinator was going to be. It turns out to be Steve Wilkes, the uh, erstwhile coach, head coach. One year, he got the Chud treatment. Just mentioned Rob Chudzinski. Steve Wilkes was hired by the Arizona Cardinals last year after being the defensive coordinator slash assistant uh, head coach in Carolina. They had some pretty good defenses there with him running the show. We bring him along. And, uh, you know, you look at that team in Arizona, and you're like, man, this guy did a terrible job coaching that team. You know, why do we want to bring him along as our defensive coordinator? Talked about this a, a, a lot during the Freddie Kitchen show. But, you know, the, the, uh, the job of the coordinator is way different than the job of the head coach. The head coach has a different role. He's got a different set of responsibilities. This guy, Wilkes, you know, he, he showed he could do pretty well in the coordinator role. He also showed a lot of stuff that he did kind of similar to what Greg was doing. So it doesn't look like, you know, there's going to be uh, a whole lot of transition in terms of the way that we're playing there. Of course, we're not going to have Jabril Peppers anymore. Um, but I don't know that that's necessarily going to be that big of a loss with, um, with, 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 with a number of things that could fall into place. But here's another thing that I think is important. Um, you know, we, we, we brought in uh, Todd Munkin, the... Um, the uh, former uh, OC of the Buccaneers. He's now our offensive coordinator, and people love that move. I, and I'm not unhappy with it. I, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm good with it. I, I, don't, I don't mean to um, uh, seem to indicate displeasure or anything of the sort. What I will say is that that guy in a year is probably, if, especially if, like, look, if we have the season that everybody expects we're going to go have this year, then Munkin is probably going to get tapped to be an, uh, a head coach for somebody somewhere. And that means we're and look that's what good teams have to deal with. So you know, 
that Joe's going to have to go get somebody else and all of that. And look, I, I'm not, you know, not trying to be presumptuous. I'm, I'm specifically not trying to be that way. I'm just saying that in the case of Steve Wilkes, nobody's going to come knocking on that guy's door anytime soon. Right or wrong, and I think, you know, guy got a raw deal out in Arizona. It doesn't matter. Rob Chudzinski got a raw deal in Cleveland. You see anybody uh, banging on that guy's door? And I thought that Chud showed himself to be a pretty decent coach. Had a lousy roster, and we were, you know, doing a bunch of weird stuff. It, it's, I mean, he was, he was, he inherited Brandon freaking Whedon. Can you imagine you get one shot in the NFL and you inherit Brandon Whedon? Like, that's your, oh, not just Whedon, but Brian Hoyer. <clears throat> I mean, Hoyer actually played, played pretty well that year, but you, you get what I'm saying. So, Steve Wilkes has an opportunity, or I should say, um, the Cleveland Browns have a chance to have a guy be our defensive coordinator for a really long time. That would be kind of cool, right? That would be that would be kind of neat. If I mean, you know, you know me, I'm a beaten broken, uh, I'm a broken drum on this. I um, I I am a big believer in the notion of we really need to some guys to be together for a lot of years. You know, we still haven't had that. You know, John Dorsey's entering his second year as general manager of the team. Uh, Freddie Kitchens is entering his first year as head coach. Even with that going on, we still are going in. You know, people are talking about us being in the Super Bowl. Not me. People are doing it. So, um, it's a totally different vibe this time around, right, going into all of this. And I think a lot of that, that's probably going to be a subject for an entirely, you know, just talking about how we got here which is necessarily going to involve Sashi and Dorsey and all that, but I'm not, I'm not going to do that now. I've already talked to you for a long time. But, um, you know, in looking at what the future holds, I feel like, you know, Kitcho is going to be able to – he's going to be able to get some grace just by virtue of the fact that this roster – and I also think that he is going to be a good, a good head coach. There's just things about – there's just – and I've seen him since the last time we talked. I've seen him speak, saw him talk at the Combine. And I just every time I hear this guy talk, he just he checks off like ten, you know, twenty boxes in my mind of yep, yep, yep. That's that's leadership. That's management. That's exactly. And I'm talking about in in the way that I view these things in a professional, you know, manner. The guy I think is just perfectly suited for all of this. But that no, I, I digress. I hope that he's around for a long time, and I think that he's going to get a lot of grace because we're going to win some games. That we're probably not going to have this this turnover every other year looking for another guy. I sure. I mean, good lord. If in two years we're looking for another coach, I, that may be, you know, that 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 may do it for me. But let's 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 not go there. Let's assume that this time it is going to actually. You know, we are going to lay some roots, and Kitcho's going to be around for a while. I mean, if if we end up in a spot where Steve Wilkes is our defensive coordinator for you know three, four, five years, you know that 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 could be really good for us, and and that that's possible. It's possible that he could be with us, you know, for as long as Freddie's with us. <clears throat> it's it's it, it could happen, and I'm saying that 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 move. Um, without just like to me, that was a a sneak. There was a lot of these. There, there, it was a sneaky, savvy move to bring that guy in, and then the rest of the uh, the way that and the way that that guy rounded out his defense brought in these guys that were really. I mean, like he brought in this 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 guy that's like the best coach in all of Canada. He's going to coach our linebackers, I guess. And I can forget the guy's name. And I'm sorry for not having all my my uh, my ducks in a row here. But uh, and then he brought in the dude from uh, Alabama that was like their top recruiter. Like, and he's going to be our D line coach. Like these guys that are in that had these monumental roles uh, in other universes stopped doing that so they could take on lesser jobs with us. 
Just a really, and that's the way our defense, our coaching staff on the defense has been constructed. It's, it's, it's a very, so that's the, when looking at the defense, right, that's the, the overview. The overview is we got a new defensive coordinator, we got a lot of new uh, position coaches on the defense. And I think that that could lead to some improvements in technique. And we're not doing the. I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm not going to you know totally crap on Greg. I mean, I thought that he did an okay job in spots as a defensive coordinator, but in you know so much of his time here was uh, you know guys being out of position um, and sending the house only to not even get close. I mean, saw that a lot in 2016. Not as much you know last year, but. I, I like I say I like Greg. Not trying to put down Greg. I'm just saying I'm good with moving on from Greg. I'm good with it. Uh, so w- with Wilkes coming in, um, I'm embracing that and looking at you know what what that guy and and you know having some head coaching experience is a good thing. Having that 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 background and and now being to come in, I think uh, be able to command you know some uh, respect there amongst the guys. And I I don't know what sort of personality his versus the sort of personality. And Greg was a very big personality, so I don't know how he is in that way. But I'm I'm very interested to see the way that he lines up the defense and the way that he uses the players that he has. And I think that we may have gotten. Um, I think we may be getting an idea of it based on the personnel decisions that have been made. So now that I've, I've you know, set the table in terms of um, Wilkes and what he's going to be doing or not doing, potentially, the other um, part of it, obviously, is the roster makeup now. And the roster makeup now is... I, th- I think a lot of people are looking at us like, wow, that offense is going to be good. Ooh, that defense, I'm not so sure. Look, the defense has some really nice pieces. I would say, and I, I guess it's probably best to go from uh, from back to front, as it were. The secondary, to me, is the biggest concern um, that we have on the team, on a team that doesn't really have a lot of concerns. That's really the best way to describe it. I mean, this roster looks pretty good, all things considered. But if there's an area that I would want to concentrate resources to try to make some improvements, it would be in the secondary. And I guess we were really close to um, getting Earl Thomas, and then the Ravens swooped in and paid him a boatload of money, which, okay, fine. They uh, they jumped us, and they took our guy, and I hope it wrecks their cap situation a little bit. Um, actually, I hope it wrecks, uh, it wrecks it a lot. And more than anything, I'm looking forward to see what that team looks like three, four, five years removed from Ozzie Newsom. But he still drafted Lamb Jack, so we're going to have problems with that. Be that as it may, you look at what we have coming back. Denzel Ward... I think showed himself to be, you know, just an outstanding young talent. But there's there's an issue there. There's an issue, and the issue, and you know what the issue is. The guy had some concussions. He had some problems. Can he hold up? I think that's a legitimate question. You know, I think the people that that are questioning Denzel Ward's longevity and whether or not he can hold up that's that's a legitimate question. That and it goes to you know how do you answer that? Three year rule, baby. You know, if we if we see him go all the way through in uh, in year two without any problems, we can feel pretty good about it. But I'll feel a lot better about it if I see him go most of two out of three years. You know, like Joe Batonio, he he had a major injury his second year because Isaiah Crowell ran up the back of his legs. But after three years, you could pretty well tell. You know, Joe's all right. Joe's okay. He can uh, he can hold up. 
He's going to be he he he's that injury was not indicative of the type of of career he's going to have, and so that's you know that's what we're going to have to find out with with Ward. It, and it is it's it's a it's an open question to the point that if I was going to look at a position, a singular position, and say this is the one that is the greatest need, and I got, I don't really think we have a whole lot of needs as it as it is, but I would say cornerback would be it. And not uncoincidentally, that my favorite player in the draft plays at that position, which we'll get to in a little bit. But and the other at the other corner is Terrence Mitchell, and he also missed a lot of time last year. So you know when when uh, those two guys were down, we're, we're staring at you know guys like uh, T.J. Carey and E.J. Gaines, and you know those guys, uh, and um, the other uh, Denzel Rice, you know guys like that, and, and some other people that we brought in uh, towards the end of the year. It's just not a very form. It's not a very deep group, and when you've got, you know, when you got question marks, and I mean, Terrence Mitchell played pretty well last year. I don't know that he played well enough for you to say, okay, we got that. Like, if he plays at that level next year, then yeah, that's perfectly fine for the number two cornerback on the team. Um, I think that we kind of can all agree though that you need more than that, and we just released Breon Body Calhoun. So you know, I, I, what do you do there? I, I think that. For a variety of reasons, I would feel a lot better about things if we did do some stuff to shore up the entire secondary. I would say that DB, you know, defensive back, period. We could use a couple of safeties. We could use a couple of corners. We could use a guy that can compete as a starter at corner, and we could use a guy that can compete for a starting job at safety. I'm not saying we got to draft guys that are going to step in and start. I'm saying I would like for us to draft... Uh, a guy at corner and a guy at safety that can come in and compete with Terrence Mitchell and um, Derek Kindred, respectively. After you know, and and if we don't, okay, then I think that uh, it's it's an okay group that's just not very not very deep. And I think uh, we saw last year that when that group starts getting taken on some injuries, it, it it can it can it can get mediocre to bad very quickly. And with the way that we're going to be uh, scoring points, you know, it's it's going to be. I think this, you know, Forthy kind of uh, he he got me thinking about because I've always put a lot of emphasis on pass rush. Who boy, do we have some pass rush to talk about? But and and I you know, certainly that's an important thing. But I, I do kind of think you know with Miles on this team that. It may be worth really focusing a lot of attention on making the secondary a very good unit because you got to cover guys. You know, you got to cover guys in order to allow the pass rush to get there. It, it, it really does work both ways in a lot of respects. And if you can't cover anybody, then your guys, you know, takes two and a half seconds to get there. Quarterbacks figure it out and they beat you. <clears throat> and then some of that we saw some of that last year in some spots when we had our guys that were down. So I, I, I'm I'm definitely wanting to see. Uh, that you know, that that area of the defense uh, improved upon. Same can be said, but not quite to the same degree at linebacker. And I think that the fact that we are kind of at a spot right now where we've got, <clears throat> um, you know, you know that that Schobert's going to play in the middle, and that Kirksey and Avery are probably going to be your stand-up starters uh, wherever the, uh, they are in, in in this defensive scheme. Okay, there's not really a whole lot behind those guys. In fact, I don't really even know what's behind those guys. I know we let uh, Tanner Vallejo go, and I think that we had already let guys like James Burgess go and B.J. Bellows. I I don't even know who we have at linebacker after we get through those guys. So, yeah, I mean, we're definitely going to have to pick up some. And if those three guys are our starters, we know we we released Jamie Collins. So if those three guys are 
our starters, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with, you know, a, a starting group of um, Avery Kindred, <clears throat> I'm sorry, Avery Schobert and uh, Kirko at linebacker with Mitchell, Ward, Randall, and Kindred in the defensive, uh, in the starting secondary with Carey being the first guy to uh, rotate in. Uh, it, when when you get into nickel sets, I'm 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 fine if that is you know who we have going out there. I don't have a problem with that defense at all. But I'm but we you know how injuries happen and injuries gutted those two units last year. So I just I would I would like to see some some attentions and and look we still have some time and actually we're getting to a point in the free agency period where Meathead might go, actually go out there and get some guys that were like who the hell is this uh, and those guys end up being the answer to exactly what I'm talking about. But <clears throat> you know I. I Going into this draft, into this process, I was thinking, you know, if we got a guy that uh, that could just really just clobber people at linebacker, I think that'd be the one thing that would make a big difference with this defensive unit. And I'm I'm revising that only because I just I need to see how this defense looks now without Greg coaching it and with Steve Wilkes coaching it, and it, maybe more of an emphasis on some of the fundamentals. I I think that. I really want to see what Joe Schobert looks like this year in this defense. I think he's a big piece of all of this, but I don't. I, I, I would actually. I think that in his case, less may be more. Um, they had him kind of doing everything, and because he's got the kind of the the athletic ability to do everything, but he may be better to not have do everything. I just might. We'll see. I, I'm I'm very curious to see how all that plays out. And Kirksey's, you know, he got hurt last year, but was having a decent year, um, b- b- you know, before that happened. So, you know, you hope he hasn't lost too many steps. He's a guy that's been on the team for a long time. I'd really, it'd be really, really great for a guy like him to be a part of this and play well, you know. <clears throat> and the reason that I started with the secondary, went to the linebacking core, and kind of talked about the problems, potential problems, you know, the, the concerns, the areas that I would want to address. The reason I started there is because I really wanted to end on the defensive line. And if you are somebody that believes that getting pressure is the way to go, well, kids, um, I, I mean, I think, you know, if you're if you are an offensive coordinator and you are looking at what we are going to be throwing down at you next year, and I've already mentioned a lot of the names. Miles Garrett at right end, coming off a you know an All Pro season. Did he make the All Pro team? I, I'm pretty sure he did. I don't remember now. He he played at that at that level. And whether he made the team or not, he played at that level. Yeah, him and Petonio made it. I'm I'm almost positive. Next to him is Larry Ogunjobi, who had a breakout year last year. You know, he showed that and guy guy you know played injured the second half of the year and was still contributing out there, and producing. Next to him now is Sheldon Richardson. And whether you're, whether or not you think Sheldon Richardson is a dominant player or just a good player, he's an upgrade from Trevon Coley, pretty significant one for a not you know ludicrous amount of money. I mean, yeah, we 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 you know we spent some cash this time around, but you know, I mean, we're we're going all in. That's that's really the the key here. You know, John Dorsey, who I love, love Dorsey. He's at the combine. He's like, yeah, this team isn't really is ready to, to to really go for it. And then what does he do? He trades for Beckham, signs you know Richardson, goes and gets all these guys. I love this guy. He he just with a straight face. It's kind of like uh, uh, Kitchens last year, telling everybody he's going to run the wishbone, and then does it. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm telling y'all, I'm going to run it, and he does it. Love it. Love it. <clears throat> I just love that attitude. So you're an offensive coordinator, and you're staring at Miles Garrett <clears throat> next to Larry Ogunjobi, next to Sheldon Richardson, who is now next to Olivier Vernon. 
and that guy, I mean, yeah, he may not be a world beater, <clears throat> but uh, he's a really, really good player. And you have him, and he'll be an upgrade over Agba. Who, and I think Agba is still a player that's ascending. I think he's actually better than what he's shown. And, and people have their opinion about it. I'm not going to. Again, it's, it's kind of like the hunt stuff. I'm not going to try to talk you out of it. I'm just telling you what I think about it. But I really think that him being a rotational defensive end, especially when you got guys already on the roster like Jannard Avery and like Chris Smith. You know, guys that you've already got a lot of situational pass rushers. Now you got a guy that was our starter and a really good player, and probably somebody that we could trade for some assets at some point. It may it may even happen before we get out of this. Um, in fact, it may happen in the scenario I'm going to describe a little bit later on. But that right now is a that's not just a formidable. That is a I mean that is a stacked defensive line. I mean that really is that is a. That's the best defensive line that I can remember us having since the days of you know Michael Dean Perry and Anthony Pleasant and Rob Burnett and whoever they would rotate at that uh, at that at that uh, fourth spot in the rotation because it really didn't matter <laughs> with those three guys it didn't really matter who you threw in there uh, in that fourth spot. This is a this is a beefy good unit and we still have you know the guys that we had that were starters last year that I didn't think were all that bad those are going to be our rotational depth this year. I mean, think of how much better we got there. So when you look at this this team right now, the way it's constructed, the offense all the way through, from quarterback to running back to wide receiver to tight end to offensive line, we are we're ready. We are ready to go now. And you have to include defensive line in there. We're ready to go now. Linebacker. Depends on a lot of things. I, I I don't know that you need to add a starter there, but I think that you need to add. Like I say, I'd like to see somebody that could at least compete. Well, I, actually, I said that about uh, Rand or about uh, Kindred, and I said that about um, about Mitchell. I'd like to like like us to get somebody that can at least compete with those guys for starting jobs. I think it would also be good to get somebody that can compete with Jannard Avery for that other linebacker spot. Um, and and whether or not those guys win the job or not, they become depth. See, this is what I'm talking about. So. At that point, we are talking about a um, what three three positions with what we have left in the in the off season. I'd like to see us get a linebacker that can compete to start. I'd like us to see a cornerback that can compete to start. I'd like to see a safety that can compete to start. That's not all that that, that like that's doable. That's something that we, that's something that could actually be done. I think. Uh, even with uh, what's, what's with, with what's already been spent, and I don't know what our cap situation is right now, but I know we're still do, we're still looking pretty good. But we're definitely getting to the point of okay, slow it down, boys, because uh, Hurricane Miles and Hurricane Baker are coming down the road here in a couple of years, and we're going to have to pay those guys. You see what Mike Trout just got? <laughs> I mean, I realize it's baseball, but you know, look at look at what I mean. Uh, D Ford uh, got traded to the 49ers and got ninety million dollars in a contract extension. 87, I'm rounding up. But you get what I'm saying, excuse me. But you get what I'm saying. You know, paying Miles and paying Baker, that's that's going to be, I mean, that that's going to take everything we got. So then the thought process is, well, let's strike while the iron's hot here. Let's do like what the Rams did, although I think that what we did and what the Rams did are, are not um, quite the same, but the result is similar in that um, going into the second year of, the, of your stud quarterback, you got a loaded team. We just we just went about it a different way than they did, which is fine. I mean, it's not 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 to criticize what they did. They went to the Super Bowl last year. Don't know how long that window is going to stay open, though. You know, you look at what um, you look at the guy, some of the guys that they've lost, 
and you look at uh, the way that you know the rest of the NFC is shaken out. I, you know, that's, there's some there's a good looking team there, and the the NFC North's got a few good looking teams, and the NFC South, and you got you know the Eagles coming back, and um, of course they lost their uh, 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 safety blanket because he went to Jacksonville. In fact, the Eagles the Eagles lost Foles. He went to Jacksonville. Jacksonville cut Bortles, and Bortles is now the backup in Los Angeles behind Goff. Did they really need to spend that much money on a, a backup? Well, whatever they did. So, you know, <clears throat> we are in this spot right now where it looks like we are just going to we are going to go for it. Uh, and so the window is open. How long it stays open? Who knows? <clears throat> maybe it's two years. Maybe it's three years. Maybe it's longer than that. But probably much longer than that. So you know, you get into a conversation about whether this was the right way to go versus the kind of the slow analytic approach that we had for two years under Brown. I think again, I think that that is something worth discussing. I'm just not going to do it um, now. What I am going to do now, though, <clears throat> is we talked about the needs that I think that we have and uh, where we could possibly fill those needs, and that is, of course. The NFL Draft. One of my favorite times of the year. One of my favorite things that is, is the NFL Draft. Now, of course, this year it's, you know, disappointing because we don't have that first pick anymore. I love first-round picks. You love first-round picks. Forthy really loves first-round picks. But it's what it is. Uh, we, we, we converted that first-round pick along with, you know, Jabril Peppers and a third-rounder into a guy that's going to open up our offense in a major, major way. So, okay, I'm good with it. But there's still there's still the needs, or at least you know as I've set it up here. So can you get three players that can um, that can, can can compete for a starting job uh, from rounds two through seven? Yeah, you can. You you could do that. There's one player in this draft, and you know last year I, I was you know Baker was my guy, was my guy you know, all the way through. I I, I I broke the table in half, uh, banging on it for him. And the year before that, um, I, there was quite a few guys that I really liked. <clears throat> like Mahomes, uh, I was, I was, I was, I was good with Miles. By the time we got to that point, and uh, I'm, I'm really, really glad we made that move. This year, I'm going to admit something: I have not done nearly as much draft scouting as I usually do or have done these last couple of years. And it's just the, and, and probably because the, it's just, you know, we, we without having, it's amazing not having that first pick in the draft or not having the second pick in the draft. It, it really does kind of, and even when we had the, you know, the 12 and the 19, that was different. I think that was 2015. That was different than what we have, you know, had the 17th overall. Now we got, now the first pick that we have is at number 49. I am, uh, I have. There's lots of players that I like, right? I mean, and you know, you know, Ed Oliver's a good player. I'm mentioning him first, not because he's my favorite player. Uh, Jonah Williams found out during the uh, the draft uh, combine that he actually wore number 73 because of Joe Thomas. So we got it, and then they just put on their tape back to back, and you could see like him doing stuff to Joe Thomas, and you're like, okay, well, if there's a Joe Thomas available in this draft, especially a guy that you know that that. You know that that looks up to Joe, that that looks at Joe Thomas like a hero. That I think I want to go get that guy, but he's probably going to be long gone by the time that we're we're on the clock. You've got at linebacker, you've got the two Devons, you got Devin White and you got Devin Bush, and I think those are both excellent, excellent linebacker candidates. And then there's a huge drop off of everybody else after them, and both of those guys are going to be gone. I mean, the fact that the, the idea that either one of them would be available at 17 was kind of a stretch, but. 
you know, I mean, it's possible, but neither one of them are getting out of the first round. But the first round is a really interesting animal, and I'm not trying to uh, to tease it too much here, but um, as I said, I identified cornerback as the, the, the position that I would want to upgrade. I, I, don't, I don't feel right calling it a need. It's the position that I would want to upgrade above any other right now. Now, that's not the necessarily the reason why. It's just a serendipitous coincidence that my favorite player, and again, I haven't done a you know I haven't I haven't scouted everybody. So Easy's big board for uh, 2019 is you know it's not going to be as formidable as others. So take it with a grain of salt. It's worth exactly what you're paying for, right? But the number one player on my board, and of course my board is the player that's best for the Cleveland Browns. The number one player on my board is Byron Murphy, the cornerback out of Washington. Not even close. He's my favorite player, and I would absolutely make a move to trade up and get him. This is my draft day dream. That, you know, go through the first round, everybody, it goes down the way that it does, and the Tennessee Titans are sitting there at number 19. Remember, we've done lots of trades with Tennessee in the past. You know, this whole Moneyball era thing started with us doing some pretty big trades with those guys. And we make a move. Maybe the move is we trade Agba and Duke and our second this year and maybe, you know, a pick next year. Overpaying, I know, but you do that, you know, to, to move up. And we trade up to number 19 right in front of the Steelers who desperately need cornerback help and secondary help. And we snatch this guy away from him. Because I'm convinced that if he's there, they're going to take him. Or if they don't take him, the Ravens are going to take him. Because he's a damn good player. I don't. I, I realize he did not perform excellently well at the Combine. He's gone down a lot of people's uh, mocks because of it. I, guys, I don't care. Watch the... T- I, 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 this is the thing I kept saying last year. And about quarterbacks, I, I can say this unequivocally. Nothing matters but the tape. Nothing matters when it comes to the quarterback position but tape. It's it. I mean, I I don't care what they do with the combine. There's nothing they can do other than finding out exactly how tall they are, what their hand size is, all that jazz. Other than that, don't really care what they do with the combine and and even their pro day, to be honest. It's a little bit different once you get into the position groups. But watch the tape on Byron Murphy. Watch either one of the Utah games. In the first Utah game, you saw every bit of uh, cornerback, like every trait that you want to see at the cornerback position, he displayed, and he was excellent beyond words in that game. In the second game, which was the, uh, what, what was that, the uh, the big whatever uh, conference championship, I think it was Big West Conference Championship, Whatever, whatever the pack, whatever conference they play in, it's it's it's, it's eluding me right now. Um, he he played extraordinarily well in the first game, and he took their soul in the second game. Like I've never seen a game, particularly at the collegiate level, that was totally dominated by a cornerback. I'm just saying, watch the tape. This this guy, I mean. He's my guy. He is my guy, 100%. He's the guy that I want more than anybody else. Are we going to get him? Probably not. But it's it's my draft crush. So as far as other guys that are going to be available, I think that probably the next time I talk to you, um, I'll have a little bit better idea of that. I mean, I, I've looked at some, you know, uh, Cha- Chauncey Garter, the guy from uh, Florida, I think, you know, probably a good uh, option for us to look at as far as the safety position is concerned. There's there's quite a few guys at the, at the linebacker spot that, that we could bring in for, you know, for those sorts of things. And, and you know, uh, my my man, uh, uh, Big Town, loves uh, Jalen Ferguson for a uh, pass rusher, and you go, oh, you, you know, it's it's a uh, you know, pitcher or a uh, 
pass rushers are like starting pitchers. You can never have enough. You know, and the answer to how many pass rushers do you need, the answer is all of them. So, you know, if we pick up an extra couple edge guys, uh, I'm, I'm great with that too. So while I can't really get into the, you know, what I think about who is going to be available in terms of later in the rounds, at least at this juncture, I do think it'll be a little bit of fun here as I close this out to uh, dabble a little bit in some speculation about how all of this is going to go down on draft night. And of course, what I'm talking about, you know, when, uh, when, when Kitchens got hired, the Arizona Cardinals had just pulled a move that I was just dumbfounded by. I'm like, wow, what? And that was that they hired the recently fired from his alma mater, a, a rinky dink, <laughs> you know, big 12 school. Um, Cliff Kingsbury, Professor Air Raid. They bring in this guy to coach the Cardinals, which is wild enough. Like, you see that, and you're like, all right, cool, this is going to be fun to watch out where this happens. But then it gets out there that, well, you know, Kingsbury said during his, uh, you know, when he was apparently just talking at some point, that if he had the chance to draft Kyler Murray, he would draft him number one overall. Well, wouldn't you know that he ends up getting hired to be the head coach of the team that has the number one overall pick? A team that took Josh Rosen and traded up to draft him at number 10 overall last year. And there is serious talk. I mean, people are talking about it like it's a foregone conclusion that the Cardinals are going to take Baker Mayfield's successor at the University of Oklahoma, Kyler Murray. Heisman Trophy winner. I think he's a really good quarterback prospect. I, I do. I, I like Kyler Murray. I, I just I refuse to believe that the Cardinals are going to upend the plan that they had that they just put in place last year and get rid of Rosen for Kyler Murray. And this isn't really even saying anything about Murray, um, although I do think first pick overall is... I think a couple of things about Kyler Murray. I think he's a very good... uh, I think he's a good prospect. I think that that he has the potential to be a a, a good NFL quarterback. I... um, I think that he is getting the benefit of a lot of things here. I think that two things. Principally, this is not a very deep or very good quarterback class. It's the first thing, especially especially compared to last year. I don't think I think any of the top five guys last year would be would be the top pick. Would be the easy consensus um, favorite to be the top quarterback in this class. People can disagree with that. That's fine. <clears throat> And I'm not trying to run down any of the guys that are in this class. Just there really aren't that many guys that are in this class. I think Kyler Murray is the best quarterback in this class. I think he benefits from two things. The fact that this is a weak class and Baker Mayfield. Because Baker Mayfield is a guy that, well, he can't play quarterback. He's too short. Well, he can't play quarterback. He played in that air raid offense out in, uh, you know, in Oklahoma. Well, Baker then proceeded to go out there and, (laughs) I mean, Used all that as fuel to say, uh, yeah, you might want to revise that thinking a little bit. And so then everybody wants <clears throat> a lot. A lot of times, people want to correct their bad, you know, their previous bad judgment by uh, trying too hard to overjudge right the next thing. You know what I'm saying? Like Murray, people are seeing in Murray things that probably are not him. 
in other words, not just Mayfield and not just the idea of a shorter quarterback. I think he came in at 5'10". So people are, are automatically assuming he's going to be the next Russell Wilson. I, I, I watch both of them. I don't see the same things in Wilson that I see in Murray. I think he's a fantastic prospect. Uh, I'm, I, but I, I would take Lamar Jackson over him. I would take, I would take Josh Allen over him. I, some people, you know, freak out over that, but I, it's just my opinion. But I think that Kyler Murray is going to benefit <clears throat> from that. And I, and I, and look, if that's the case, if he actually does get drafted by the Arizona Cardinals number one overall, then guess what, kid? You made the right decision not playing baseball, <clears throat> especially with that stupid can't. Pitch. Uh, you have to pitch to uh, three batters now if you're a reliever. I, I am. I am irate over that rule. It, 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 I'm not going to get into it, but I'm really, really mad about that. Just so stupid. And Kyler Murray doesn't have to subject himself to it now because he is. Uh, he's playing football, and if it actually happens, <laughs> that would be. That would be incredible. I just cannot believe it's going to happen. I, I just, I just refuse to believe that the Cardinals are serious. I think that when it all comes, when it's all said and done, Goodell's going to be on the stage with that dumb look at everybody uh, booing him, and he's going to say, "With the first pick in the 2019 NFL Draft, the Arizona Cardinals select Nick Bosa, defensive end, Ohio State." It's, I think it's always been leading in that direction, and I think that a lot of this, for whatever reason, and hey, look, I'm good with subterfuge for any, I, I don't care what the reason is, I'm good with it. So, however, whatever the cause was they decided to do it, cool. You know, mission accomplished. They have, they have managed to get everybody believing that they are going to take Kyler Murray number one overall. I don't buy it, but man, it would be wild if it did. If it did happen, you know the team that could end up looking like the biggest geniuses in the world? The New York Giants. Because somebody's got to get Josh Rosen. What do you suppose that market is going to be? Who else out there has two picks in this year's draft, especially a six and a seventeen? You know, if the Giants, if the Giants manage to come out of this situation, I don't care what draft picks they have at the end of it. If they manage to come out of this situation with Josh Rosen, then that means that they got Josh Rosen and Saquon Barkley. High five, Bar. Say whatever you want about Dave Gettleman, you won, dude. That's that's feeling pretty good. And you get Josh Rosen with a year of you know NFL seasoning under the belt to come in, and and he doesn't even have to start right away. He can get behind uh, uh, Eli until you know that that flame is completely extinguished, and then you bring in Rosen, and then he takes over, and he's your quarterback for the next fifteen years. Um, you know he's got to go somewhere, and uh, to me, I just I, I love the idea of the Giants. You know. Uh, ending up smelling like a rose after doing what they did last year and taking Barkley, which I think was just one of the dumbest things you could have done in that situation with all those guys that were available. Um, you know, looking at it this way, if you weren't going, if you, if you weren't going to take any of the guys available last year, then why would you take any of the guys this year? Unless you think that Kyler Murray or the next guy that I think is is noteworthy in this conversation, that's Dwayne Haskins, the quarterback, really the only. Uh, high-caliber quarterback prospect from the Ohio State University since, um, I don't know, ever. I honestly don't even, I literally don't recall a time in my life where there was a quarterback highly touted coming out of Ohio State. Herb Street, did he even play? I remember, you know, he, he had uh, he had that dynamic uh, relationship with uh, Brian Stabline. That's how, you know, that, that, was, that was way back in the day. Who else? There's was, there was the couple, Julius Jones, or was that a running back? There's lots of guys. That have come and gone. Craig Krenzel, he didn't do anything in the league. Uh, I mean, it, it's... <clears throat> I, I, I can't... I don't recall there being a time where where we've had that. So, um, you know, you've got... 
you've got teams out there that need quarterbacks. You've got a dearth of quarterback talent that's available, in my opinion. And I think that tremendously helps a guy like Kyler Murray. And I think it also helps a guy like Dwayne Haskins. So then you look at the way this draft plays out. Let's say that the Arizona Cardinals do um, take Kyler Murray. Let's just say they do it. I don't believe it. Let's say they do it. And let's say that in with going along with that, in return they get back. They trade to Josh Rosen. They trade. They, they trade the Josh. They trade Josh Rosen to the Giants, and in the process, pick up their six and seventeen. That would be an insane. Um, that actually makes all this make a lot of sense if you think about it. I mean, if they if they're able to come out with the guy they really want, and they're able to come out with the six and seventeen, I mean, they could really set themselves up well. But then look at. But then if you're sitting there at number two. And if Kyler Murray went number one, and you're a team that wants a quarterback, you really want Dwayne Haskins. Some guys like Drew Locke, I, the, I'm, 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 not, I'm not there. I think Haskins, I think Murray's the number one, Haskins is the number two in this class. And again, Haskins is a guy that to me is not uh, kind of upper echelon, nothing against. I mean, a guy absolutely lit it up down the stretch there for the Buckeyes. And, dude, no doubt about that. I mean, he may rival Josh Allen as far as arm strength. Guy can – guy's got an incre- – I mean, all all the physical attributes you could possibly want. I mean, this guy is loaded as far as that's concerned. Uh, but I just – you know, I, as a – that stuff like we talked about last year, what's important? And as far as the stuff that's important, I'm not sure that he has it. Not to say that he couldn't get it, but I'm not. I'm. I'm just. I'm not seeing Dwayne Haskins as the guy that you're going to be able to plug in your lineup next year, and he's going to be able to go out and start and win. But you know, of, of the teams out there that need quarterbacks, you know, mention the Giants. There's also Washington. There's Miami. There's uh, you know Denver. Probably. I mean, they they really should be looking for a quarterback unless Joe Flacco apps actually is your preferred option, which. I mean, seriously, but okay, fine. If that's your number one, so be it. Uh, but, you know, there's another team that, you know, let's say that, and this is this is really the thing that I'm, I'm interested in, in viewing. Let's say the Cardinals go through with it. They draft Kyler Murray number one overall. Now the San Francisco 49ers are on the clock. Now let's consider the 49ers. They've got access to Nick Bosa. They could take uh, Josh Allen, the defensive end, tremendous edge talent. Uh, available, he'd be there at number two. They could go with uh, AJ uh, um, DK Metcalf, the phenom freak wide receiver out of Mississippi. Um, you got, but at the same time, you've got your quarterback. Do you really want to take a wide receiver number two overall? I, I'm not saying that you shouldn't. I'm just saying is, is that something that's typically done? You know, that's that's kind of a that's kind of a rare move. Um, you could take Nick Boza, you could take uh, Josh Allen, but you've drafted Eric Armstead, you've drafted Solomon Thomas, you've uh, drafted DeForest Buckner. How many, you know, top five, top ten defensive linemen can you have? I mean, I guess to answer my own question from earlier, all of them, but I just, I have a hard time seeing that. But see, I'm, I've also, I'm also somebody that exists in this, in this world where I just, I'm, I'm perpetually um, having a hard time reading John Lynch. And with each passing day of him being the GM, I'm leaning more and more towards, you know, thumb pointing down. And I, I am considering the prospect here of the Bengal, or, well, I just gave it away. The Niners are on the clock at number two. 
Murray just goes, that's going to open up the market for Dwayne Haskins. And if you're not really loving the options that you have there, or you think you can have options later on, you could shop the pick two. Who might want to jump up the number two and take it? Hello, Cincinnati Bengals. Why would the Bengals do it? Well, I mean, we, you know, Dalton is who he is. He had some easy, he's, he's not exactly a spring chicken, and he's, you know, I mean, when he's when he's good, when he's healthy, when he's on his game, he's, you know, probably top half of the league quarterback, but he's not really special. Hasn't really done a whole lot to, to move the team. Plus, you can never discount this too much, the dynamic of you got a new coach, and the new guy is going to want his own guy. Coach new guy is going to want quarterback new guy. That's just how it is. So when coach new guy... Uh, takes a look at the situation, he may say, you know, I really want to get my own guy because this is a retread and I can't win with him. You know how it goes. You know this. You know how this is. And I don't know anything about Zach Taylor, but um, other than his his uh, offense with the brilliant and phenomenal uh, Sean McVay scored three big points in the Super Bowl. Can you imagine being a Bengals fan watching that thing? Imagine being a Bengals fan and a Dolphins fan, respectively, watching the Super Bowl. The Dolphins, you know, new coach is the defensive coordinator of a Patriots defense that, I mean, it's not even that it's common. It's traditional that they get torched by everybody they play in the playoffs, and they hold the yams to three points. (laughs) And that offensive coordinator is now the Bengals head coach. So he comes in. Swinging his you-know-what and says, hey, you know what, i got to go get my own guy. Well, at this point, Mike Brown, the uh, owner slash, you know, head honcho decision maker of that organization. <clears throat> and by the way, it was uh, Sasanak, my buddy on uh, the threads, that, that put this idea into my head. So now I'm just, you know, you know advancing it further. Because he's looking at it purely from the nuts and bolts of they could use a quarterback. You know, there's a couple of quarterbacks that are available. Maybe they'd move up and get somebody. I think, especially in this scenario, it would make sense. And it could make sense. It could be what they do. For them to move up in the draft to number two overall, potentially, to take Dwayne Haskins specifically because he's a guy that can get butts in the seats in the natty. If you, you're talking about the only you know good Ohio State quarterback to come out of the draft. I mean, we've had good quarterbacks. We've had good quarterbacks in college. We haven't had a pro, pro prospect like Dwayne Haskins. Again, I don't think ever, quite honestly, at least since you know the, the you know the, the way before the modern era of the game. Certainly, it hasn't been in the passing era. So the only good Ohio State quarterback to come out ever goes to you know a team whose fan base is all about the Buckeyes, you could almost sell them on the notion that this is the answer to Baker Mayfield. Now, we can... Actually, what we can do is egg them on. Yeah, man, definitely. If there's anybody I'm afraid of, it's Dwayne Haskins. You guys definitely shouldn't draft him. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm great with that because, you know, I, I think that, I, I mean, it could be done in a good way. Like if you bring in Haskins and, you know, uh, Dalton continues to, to play and you let him run out the string and you either trade him after a year or, you know, he gets hurt or whatever the case may be, you bring him in slowly, I think he'll be okay. You bring him in, trade Dalton, and he's the guy, I think you're going to have problems. Just my opinion, I could be wrong. And we've talked before about whether, you got to start a guy right away versus sit him right away. Everybody's different, and I have no idea what it would be like with Dwayne Haskins. I do know he, he didn't play enough in college to inspire enough confidence in me that he'd be able to take the reins right away. But then again, it's not like anybody cares what I think. I'm just I'm just spitballing here with you. But I think that it's a move that could happen. And if it does happen, um, 
That I mean, I think that that would. Uh, I, again, I think that it would really get that base excited. Uh, I don't know if they'd be justifiably excited, but it also would buy the Bengals a lot of a lot of patience. You know, th- we talk about tanking, and that does kind of seem to be like um, what what the what the what the popular model is either already you know has become or is becoming. But understand that before us, before we came along and just had the putrid uh, two decades that we just had, the Bengals went through a period almost as bad and almost as long. It's going to be pretty hard. And then they came out of it, and when they came out of it, it was like you know, it, it, it was like a, it was like a, a, a plant sprouting, and now you know they now they're out of it, and they've been mediocre. They've had you know years where they were poor. Last year they weren't very good, but they haven't been bad like they were bad back then. And if you're gonna go full tank <clears throat> and be bad like you were back then, uh, well, actually at that point it might make sense to just go ahead and put Haskins in there and let the chips you know fall where they may, and then you know you, you get him a full year under center and all that. Um, it may, it may make the sales job easier if that's the case. Like, if you're a Bengals fan, you may buy the notion that it'll work out with Haskins than it would with really anybody else because he's Haskins because he's Ohio State. Uh, and you know, maybe, maybe not. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking that that's something that could that could happen. And after that, I'm not sure there's another quarterback that gets drafted in the first round. I, I, I'm, I'm not. I was I was uh, listening to uh, Chris Sims the other day, uh, and, and he was saying he was, he was, he loves Drew Locke. In fact, he has him right after Murray. Um, he likes a lot of guys. He likes Finley. He likes Stim. He thinks that there you know there could be three or four guys that go in the first round. I'm, that, that's not me. I don't think that that's going to happen. We'll see, of course. But I do think that because of the you know because because Kyler Murray is going to get probably more attention than he should just based on. Or you know what? Actually, that's probably not even accurate to say. Kyler Murray probably is a worthwhile and worthy number one pick overall. He's just not compared to last year's class, but last year's class was ridiculous. So probably, you know, in, in normal times, and these are probably normal times, he's a perfectly fine number one quarterback in the draft and uh, and, and could be really good for somebody out there. But if he ends up being the beneficiary of people being so wrong about Mayfield that now they want to get it right with Murray, and I think that that's a big part of a lot of this, that's driving a lot of this. I may even be driving it with Kingsbury. Who knows? Who knows what's going on with that with that dude? But with that being the case, Murray goes number one. That's going to that's gonna do a couple of things. It is going to drive up the quarterback market for Haskins. Somebody is going to make a rash decision, uh... And so those are now two guys that are going to be drafted probably in the top ten. I mentioned DK Metcalf. He probably also is going to go in the top ten. Um, and whoever it is that you think the top running back is, and this this class certainly is not like it was last year, um, you know, chances are that guy is going to go top ten because it always seems like there's a running back that gets overdrafted every year and goes in the top ten. And sometimes it's justified, but I'm just saying it's it. So those are three guys that you take out of a a draft that is so heavy on defensive talent, particularly as it relates to the defensive line. Linebacker, it's not as stout, but there's a lot of good defenders um, later on as you as you go into the draft. Uh, and secondary, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of quality cornerbacks. That's the one position that I have looked at quite a bit. And I like a lot of guys that are out there. That they, they, there's there's one of probably about I don't know seven or eight dudes that if we picked him up at number forty nine, I'm good. 
Julian Love is a name to really to to uh, B Kig brought that Bernie brought that up to me the other day, and, and he we both think that he could be available there, and that he would be a pretty good pick there. And he's exactly what I'm talking about. Somebody he's not going to come in and be a, he's not somebody that you would think on the surface is going to come in and blow the doors off him. You know, he's got to be the starter right now, but he's somebody that can come in and compete, and that's all that I'm looking for. Well, if you have been looking for me and missing me, hopefully um, this assuages some of that as I just, yowza, just talked for, what is this, two and a half hours? Good Lord, what, you people you people put up with this? <laughs> but, hey, I haven't spoke with y'all in a bit, so, um, you know, getting you know, and I explained why. So, uh, hopefully this was worthwhile, and, um, you know, I'll try to get... Try to be a little bit more frequent with it, and try to not uh, wait so long to uh, come back and, and yak at y'all. And uh, now that you know, now that I've got this uh, this 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 uh, cyst, you know, this this uh, mucus goiter, you know, tore off my lip, I think that I won't have too much trouble talking. And as I've done this exercise, I don't really feel too bad about it. So uh, onward we go. My name is Easy Weave. This has been Easy Does It on Dogs by Nature, and. Um, hey, you know, the free agency period has been a blast so far. The uh, the offense, the way that it looks now, and I didn't really spend a whole lot of time talking about Odell Beckham Jr., but the guy's great. He's great. It was a great move. Um, as I say, when I talked about it initially, I, I was I was a little trepidatious and, and what didn't really like the return, but as it's marinated, as, as, it's, uh, as I've spent time with it, I like it. I like the move. It was a good move at the right time with the way that this team is going right now. We are going for it. And if you're going to go for it, plop down a first, peppers, and uh, a third, and go out and get possibly the best wide receiver in all of football. Uh, I'm good with it, especially for what that does for Baker Mayfield. Well, I appreciate you. I hope that uh, you're well out there. And uh, until the next time we, we uh, talk, I mean, I wish you the absolute best. Good luck. God bless. See ya.